0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to composite two-star recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10 K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez, part of the USC podcast family. The Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and, of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald.
1: Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And if you're listening to this episode right now, that means you survived the rain and the hurricane that has blasted Southern California over the last, uh, I don't know, 72 to 48 hours. So congratulations, you survived that hurricane. But if you're listening to this, that also means that you better prepare for another kind of hurricane. That's my podcasting partner in crime, gerard hurricane martinez Here like a
0: hurricane. gerard how are you doing i'm doing fine that's way too much buildup for the beginning of the show look
1: it's it's a special day uh, well it's a special I day and it has
0: nothing to do with me so yes but i know you were thinking of this probably driving over to the studio today you're like oh there's so much rain it was almost like a hurricane it's not a hurricane but maybe i can spin it into some type of hurricane segue and then we'll get off and going for national signing day which is why we're actually here the second national signing day of the 2024 cycle the smallest and most insignificant signing day which is a change in modern-day recruiting. Somewhat depressing if you're an old-school recruit, Nick, and you remember the days when February was the big day. The first Wednesday in February was the big day. It was like Christmas for college football fans, and now it's kind of just an after- afterthought, Chris.
1: Just like a hurricane, you are raining on my intro, and that's perfect. That's the energy I want. Bring that, Gerard. Also bring a little heat because it is freezing here in the studio, I don't know The heat's not like doing what it's supposed to do So I need you to bring that heat And yes, it is a little bit depressing Because February Signing day was like the big thing It was like the big thing you got ready for So much excitement, so much fireworks You never know what was going to happen Gerard, back in the day What time were you were you waking up for, for on this day? Being a West 3 Coast o'clock. guy
0: 3, 3 o'clock, o'clock in the morning Because you would have a handful of potential flips Some recruits that USC was recruiting that maybe they committed to another school. Maybe they were still open and they were East Coast guys. So you wanted to be on top of anything that might be happening. You know, faxes coming in early. Uh, So, yeah, it was something that you got up real early. You went to bed real late and maybe not totally even sleep time. at all
1: maybe not even sleep at all or like yeah, shotgun take like a 30 minute 30 minute nap or something
0: yeah you usually get like a few hours of sleep if you maybe two or three hours of sleep because you'd, you'd be turning in at like 11 12 at night and like i said you'd be waking up at, at three three o'clock in the morning but that's not the case anymore this this wednesday you sleep you sleep in because you kind of know what the class is going to look like, you know that there's not going to be a lot of commitments. There's really not a lot of uncommitted recruits out there. For USC, at least for the past few cycles, it's been pretty quiet on the second national signing day of the recruiting cycle. It's all about December, which I think what people really don't like about that, just from a fan perspective, having spoken to many fans about it, I think I I think I get it. I, I encapsulate this, and I understand it. The first signing day in December is one of many things going on. It's no Mm -hmm. longer this one day. It's not the big thing out from everything else. You have your coaching changes, which are, you know, going and everybody's very, you know, interested in that. You know, with USC, they were going through uh, this past cycle, a whole defensive staff change, you know, defensive coordinators And so people were really kind of focused on that. Like, what's going on? You know, is Jim Leonard going to be the guy? There's other names popping up. Which direction is Lincoln Riley going to go? And, of course, across college football, there's all kinds of coaching changes as well. Some hey coaching changes. Then you also have the holidays. So if you've got family, you're Mm -hmm. very close to Christmas. You're literally like two weeks away from Christmas. Uh, So everybody's kind of hustle and bustle thinking about that as well. It's just sort of one thing of many things going on. And with the old school signing day, when it was only the first Wednesday in February, that that day just, you know, it just stands out. There's really nothing going on right now. Right. It's, it's you can just focus like that's going to be the big event. There's not really anything that's going to overshadow it and that anymore because it's just not as big and you really don't have very many recruits committing today and actually signing, uh, that it's it's diminished quite a bit. So I think that's partly the problem. It's just not the same in December. Even though you have the vast majority of, of recruiting done at that point, it's still that day is not ne- nearly as uh, important, and it doesn't stand out among everything going at that point in time during the year as it used to in February when – you know, I mean, what else is going on in February? You know, President's Day and Valentine's Day. But it's really just it's not really uh, conflicting with a lot of other things. The Super Bowl is this weekend. So you can say, well, you know, the Super Bowl this weekend, that can be something that would overshadow National Signing Day. But, I mean, I think with college football fans, if you're a college football fan, that kind of comes first. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, the NFL's yeah. going. That's cool. If you happen to have a team that's in the Super Bowl, then you're probably distracted by that. But most fans don't. NCAA, if you're listening,
1: fix it. Make it better. Bring February signing day back. Move the early signing period to very early, into the summer, as Gerard has mentioned on this podcast, or right after the summer before the fall starts. Do it then, or, you know, I don't know. Figure it out. Bring February back. Make February national signing day great again. Bring it back. Make it a thing. I love, everyone loves it. If you've been, as Gerard said, if you've been following recruiting for a long time, you know
0: February is the when day did you was start the day. following recruiting. Do you remember like when it started to be important for you was Was it back before there was an early signing day? Because I mean, you're obviously y- a lot younger than I am, and and I'm a young tyke. Yeah, you haven't been. Say you're a lot younger than me. I mean, you you are newer to the business, certainly. You know, I've got like I don't know what 15 years on you or something like that, or, or something like maybe, that. Maybe not quite that much, but I mean, did you cover High school football um, enough at that point where there was just the February signing day to kind of, you know, remember how big that was as to kind of how it looks now.
1: I remember it as a fan and I didn't really get into like following recruiting like just before like I was in junior high because I was playing like a lot of NCAA football and like building your character and you get recruited and then obviously I was a big like Maryland Terrapin fan. I would go to games. Me and my brother, we would like get those like recruiting magazines and like look up who they added. And then we would go on Rivals and we'd like look up all of the like guys they'd offered or like top, you know, 100 guys or whatever. Just look at their their photos and their rankings and all that and see where they're from. So
0: but I wasn't really, high, you were doing that.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, I like looking at you know, this guy or this guy or the, the, the one that sticks out of my head. And I don't know why it's like name a random recruit is like Willie corn. He was a quarterback that signed with Clemson
0: mm-hmm.
1: from South Carolina. And that's like the guy that sticks in my head the most. I don't know why he was like a four star quarterback, but that guy's name and face is like stuck in my head from those old, like recruiting from like rivals. Like literally I would just go on rivals and just like, we would just like look up players and see like who Maryland was recruiting. Obviously, Maryland wasn't like signing, you know, like big time major people all the time. They would get some once in a while. So that was like the little fun of uh of getting them and or like following signing day as a Maryland fan, you know. You you would usually do for at least one big time guy. So yeah, I wasn't probably like, you know, like a USC fan following USC during the peak era, or, era where they were getting all these players and, and whatnot. So, you know, Maryland's not a blue blood program, but yeah, I would still, you know, be excited about February signing day. Just like who are we going to get, who are we going to flip, who's going to come, who's going to leave, whatever. So, and then when I was like working in high school sports, we would cover national signing day, but you know, it wasn't like, it's like the different side of national signing day from like a recruiting writer. Cause we're covering like kids that are going to like, san jose state or you know cal poly Pomona, or like these smaller schools you know that there's not really buzz about it but you know they're still going to college they're still going to college for free it's like the the lower end of the you know the high profile espn signings you know everyone in the gym gasps you know hats on the table it's like very cut and dry you know i'm gonna go to this small school or whatever so i would cover it in that sense that's kind of like the most in-depth I would do prior to, you know, working for 247 and, you know, having to get up at four in the morning to be prepared for, you know, what was coming throughout the the rest of the day, driving to as many high schools as I could or, or whatever in, in a certain day and then going to a presser. I've covered like very basics of national signing. Day. Nothing like what you would have covered, you know, when it was like the real deal, Holyfield, kind of February signing day, but I've had just like minimal experience into what the craziness of National Signing Day can be.
0: Yeah, there there used to be craziness. Like there were, it was actually a day where stuff got nuts and you didn't have many players not signing on that day. That became a little bit more in vogue later on. You know, you had guys like uh I mean I think Chantrell Henderson was one of the first that USC was involved with where He had committed uh, later on in the process, and it was kind of unheard of. You know, everybody's like, well, you have to sign your letter of intent. People didn't realize, no, you, you actually don't have to sign a letter of intent at all, and you don't have to sign it by this specific date. This is the first date you can sign it by. So his recruitment dragged on a little bit, and Lane Kiffin was able to eventually reel him in, and then it turned around, and they had sanctions levied against him by the NCAA, and then he got out of his uh, letter of intent and ended up at Miami. So yeah, I mean it used to be the day of days, you know, and there used to be like a lot of drama up so until recruiting Super Bowl. So
1: recruiting Super Bowl, Droid.
0: It was it was nuts, yeah, it was nuts. But it's it's definitely been diminished and and not and again I don't even think it's because there's two signing days. I don't think that's it because there's just so few guys that are signing today or committing today that i that it's diminished because it's watered down and there's not as much significance because not everybody's signing or committing on one day it's more because everybody like there's so many kids that are committing during the summer so it's it's actually by the time you get in to december most of the class is pretty much done for for most colleges at that point and so um It's a matter of, I think, the early signing day where it is and everything else going on around it is kind of an issue in and of itself. It's it's like, oh, I'd like to really kind of, you know, focus in on what the class is going to be. And maybe there's not a bunch of commitments on that day, but still it'd be interesting to kind of like be able to focus in on that and not have like five other things going on. Uh, Whereas I think, yeah, February, it was just like, the holidays were behind us and, and, you know, for the kids, the finals and, and everything they're in their new semester now. And it just, it was a completely different deal. And so I think that has, has hurt it as well. So I don't know what the answer is. If there is an answer, you know, if, if there needs to be a change, I mean, maybe, you know, if it's, if the players like it, and the prospects think that this is the best way, then that is what it is. Um, but I, I definitely see from a fan point of view it's just not nearly as exciting anymore and and as interesting and it's not like a special day anymore signing day is it's it's just just another day it's not just another day but it it is definitely not what it was but i'm surprised to hear that you were like in junior high actually following recruiting that's nuts i mean i didn't follow recruiting really hardly at all until like the end of high school only because I knew some guys that were like getting recruited and going to college. And it was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like there's a process. Like I didn't know. And then I had teammates and stuff that were like going to camps and and all that. And it was like, Oh, that's interesting. And you know, then Chris Claiborne who I, who I knew when I was in high school, I played against him. So you know, when he went to USC it was like, Oh, I, I mean, I played against that guy. He was freaking, he was a freak, man. Like I want to see what that guy does in college. Like I saw how good he was against us I wonder how good he's going to be when he plays in college, and it turned out he was really, really good. He played as a true freshman, and I was like, yeah, man, and see that guy was good. He kicked our ass, and so I don't feel so bad about that now. You know that kind of thing, right? Copium uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, copium, baby. Some, some of the guys you, you you play against, I mean, and there was a bunch of guys. at R.J. Sauer, there was Ryan Nelson, there was a bunch of those uh, IE guys, that went the full high, went the Pacific Hone. Um, Chris was at Riverside North. And so, you know, Deontay Whitaker was a really good player. Rancho Cucamongu came over from Eisenhower and it like, you just, you started to follow these players beyond because you saw them and you kind of knew them. And it was like, wow, that's intriguing. That's interesting. And then it became more like, it just became different. I really, my, I started following high school football. I was more interested in just high school football and like the other teams around the country and like, who okay. Like, who, who who do we play against if it's played against like the best teams and you know what are those teams playing against and how they rank against the other teams nationally because you used to have the usa today top 25 and that was always interesting to get you know get that newspaper and i think we've talked about this before on the podcast but that was always cool like to, to to wait for that to come out every week and see these other schools and like these names and just you know, you just be like, "Oh man, I wonder like what football is like in New Jersey or, you know, what what you know these and they come up, you know, North Shore in Texas, you know, it's like, "Oh, that's that's like I wonder what what that what makes them good? You know, are they like a passing team? Are they they got like a bunch of athletes? Are they as good as Long Beach Poly? Like do they have as many guys as Long Beach Poly, at, you know, or Eisenhower, Rialto, or or these other schools?" And so that was really the 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 thing that kind of brought me more into just like high school football and then knowing the players. And then that was like a step into recruiting and, and following the, the individual players, which is, you know, more drama. And, and it's kind of a different thing, but unfortunately that is what everybody wants to know because that's what impacts college. And of course, college is a multi-billion dollar industry. So, you know, that's why we have jobs, Chris, because, you know, just hiring like, covering high school football, they eh, are not going to pay the bills. People are like kind of interested in it. It's kind of cool. But, yeah, I mean, it's just not the same as uh, the, the individual players that impact, you know, how those colleges are going to play. And then, you know, you have all those alums and all those fans. And uh, and uh, that's, uh, you know, how we end up where we are.
1: Yeah. And you have to remember, like, kind of when, like, a example, like, class of 2005, the 2005 cycle. I don't know if you remember that cycle. That was like the Ray Maluga, Mark Sanchez cycle. But. You know, as I said, I used to go to Maryland games all the time with my family for like a long time. So, watching the team, want to get better. Who's going to sign with with Maryland? But the number one player in the class of two thousand five was out of Maryland. Derrick Williams, an athlete from uh, I remember
0: covering Derrick Williams.
1: Yeah, went to Penn State. So obviously, you know that was uh, no. We wanted to go to Maryland. We're going to go to Maryland and. The number the another guy in the top five was also out of Maryland, uh, Melvin Elise, and he. I remember to Melvin
0: Elise. He did, so that and that was the same class with Callahan Bright, who was like a big time defensive tackle that USC was recruiting, and he ended up man being the biggest bust and didn't didn't. I don't think he had the grades, and, and, and Melvin Elise that was a whole story in and of itself with hand too. I'm sure you you're probably going to allude to that. <laughs> Uh, I
1: actually, I, 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 it's fuzzy what happened there. So if you, if you have a recollection, uh, he got
0: into some legal trouble, if I recall, some very, yeah. very serious stuff uh, that that went on, and it's it's vague because he wasn't re- Like he was an SC guy, and like at this point in the year, right in, in the cycle, it was like those were the big names, you know, Amelie oh, Lees, Callahan Bright. People watch their film. Oh, my God, these guys we can't miss. And you got to remember, I mean, USC was absolutely rolling at yeah. that point. Like rolling, they rolling, rolling, rolling. And it felt like they could get anybody. They just gotten Patrick Turner out of Tennessee, which yeah. was really – I mean, people always talk about Joe McKnight being such a huge gap for USC. Um, Excuse me. Um But – I think that, I mean, getting Patrick Turner was just, it was, it was just about as big. And a lot of people, this was the recruitment that was really done better uh, from a standpoint of keeping it quiet and not having a lot of people really know what was going on. Like the Joe McKnight thing was, quite frankly, it wasn't the best kept secret. Like, I, I mean, we definitely knew. Joe McKnight really liked USC and there was a lot going on in the background and, you know, LSU was recruiting him really hard. Ole Miss was recruiting him really hard. But you got the sense like USC is kind of the team to beat for for quite a long time with Joe McKnight. Um, It wasn't really like that as much with Patrick Turner. Patrick Turner took an initial official visit to USC. Like I think it was the first game of the season that season. And it was just like he was the only one. It was kind of odd for USC to have in-season visits uh, early in the season. They would usually have all of their visits come in on the last weekend. Sometimes there would be another weekend later in the year, too. They'd have two or three guys come in. But this was the first week, and he kind of came and went. And he was really hard to get on the phone. Not really a lot of people talked to him. And so it kind of like – I was like, oh, yeah, he went to USC. And then nobody really thought a lot of it. Everybody's going, oh, he's going to go to Tennessee. He's going to go to this SC school, that SCC school. And he was from a small school, good pasture. It really wasn't until, like, almost after the Army All-American game that I remember people kind of going, USC's kind of still in it. Like, you know, and people would talk to him more, um, you know, Southern SEC riders and what have you, and as he kept being, you know, in, in the picture. And that was one of the better recruitments where, I, I mean, I think he was pretty, pretty sold on USC probably early on. And they kept that very quiet and he kept it very quiet and it just, he didn't really show until like the very end. And so that was, that was a big time recruitment for USC, a wide receiver. But again, when you're starting to get guys like that out of the SEC, and you've already had success in New Jersey and Ohio, the expectations are raised. And It's like, well, you know, man, one of these days they're going to pluck one of these guys out of the SEC. That's a big time defensive lineman. Uh, they got Kyle Moore out of Houston County, Georgia. Uh, but then, I mean, there were so many guys that they went after, but Callahan, Bright, Mellon, at I remember those guys being like big time, and they were talking. At that point in time, you talked about USC like you talked about Alabama, and it was like if you were a big-time recruit, you you name USC. Like, oh, yeah, 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 USC, because it was like part of being uh, highly touted. And, um, you know, those days have kind of faded because you – you can go down – I mean, I, I know that, like, the, the litmus test was sort of the Army All-American Combine, and you you go down there, and it's like if you ask kids, oh, do you want to visit USC, every one of those kids would say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to visit USC. I'm going to take an official visit to USC. You're like, well, okay, I realize that there's going to be a smaller percentage <laughs> than every one of these top guys, but every guy would have something to say about USC, and that changed you know, kind of it really after sanctions and, and whatnot. And, you know, it, that whole really kind of that transition from Lane Kiffin and the Steve Sarkeesian and the Helton, you kind of started to see that fade a bit. And you'd have guys that just come through and they just have no interest in USC. They're, you know, not going to talk about USC. They're, they've got other schools in mind. And so, you know, USC is trying to get back to that. But, you know, even at those peak years, and recruiting has obviously changed, When you start talking about some of these guys, some of these defensive linemen, some positions, it's just going to be hard to to be able to pluck these guys out of those regions. And um, this is the time of year where there's lots of optimism and, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of offers that go out. And the one different thing is that and we're going to talk about that today is some of these kids actually getting out here unofficially, which, you know, you didn't have guys from Mississippi and Georgia and the deep south getting out to Southern California unofficially before the official visit ever like it just was not common at all uh maybe once in the blue moon you get a guy to show up to a camp but mostly these guys you just did not have a chance to get him out here unless it was for an official visit and it was hard to get that official visit because you didn't have that traction even to kind of get your foot in the door and show them los angeles and show them the campus and you know, just kind of acclimate them to, hey, travel, and this is what it's like. This is what it feels like. And now that's a bit different. That's a bit different with the travel teams. And now you've got five on five. We're actually seeing some of these linemen out here, which, you know, I was talking with some of the folks, you know, I was talking to Adam Gorney. Uh, we were at the Pylon Tournament this past weekend, and it was like, dude, you know, I mean, that that's the one positive, you know, uh, all the chaos and all the craziness is when you've got, Travel teams like California Power, and you actually have some of these guys out here. Just from my standpoint of being able to evaluate and just see these players up close, like you would never see guys like that until you went to the Army All American Bowl or or something else. Like you just wouldn't see these players at all. And now we're actually getting to see them in a semi camp type of atmosphere and just be around them and talk to them. And it's eye opening for us, but it's also eye opening for them. And uh, that's been kind of fun, you know, to to see some of those guys get out here and and get to see him move around and get to see him play a little bit and compete. And um, you know, maybe that's something that helps USC do what they couldn't do, even in the years where they were rolling and they were you know on their way to winning three national championships in a row. Um, getting those guys out of the deep south, getting those guys out of Texas, getting those. Big Mama's boys <laughs> out of Georgia and Louisiana, and, and actually landing some of those guys, uh, it, it would be um, it would be huge, you know, to to balance out the class with the some of those elite players down from the south.
1: Drew, we technically haven't even really like started the show, but uh, we just taking a walk down a February National Signing Day memory lane. Maybe we'll jump back after the break, but we got to get going in the show and talk about the present, which is USC's. National Signing Day, which saw them add three signatures to the 2024 high school class. We'll talk about those. We'll talk about the Pylon Tournament and some of the big visitors that USC got on campus. What you were alluding to with those travel teams uh, coming out to California and all over the country. But before we do that, I do have two quick reads to do because I got to do a read for our longtime sponsor of the whole Parasol Podcast Network, and that's Trader Joe's, Gerard. I know you don't usually hear us talk about Trader Joe's on this show, but it's a special occasion, it being National Signing Day. So we got to give some love to Trader Joe's, the sponsor, the longtime sponsor of the Parasol Podcast and Ryan Abraham and his podcast. But, you know, Gerard's Super Bowl is this week. And if you're throwing a little bit of a Super Bowl party, you can stop on by to Trader Joe's and pick up some stuff. Gerard, do you like tomatoes? I I do like tomatoes. Yeah, well, in case you don't like tomatoes, you know, we're both Mexican, we have to love tomatoes. But in case there's people in your life that doesn't like tomatoes, you can pick up some corn and chile tomato-less salsa for your party. You can put you can pick up that fully cooked pork belly. I actually have it. I have it all the time. My girlfriend really likes it. She buys it. We freeze it. We cut it up. It's it's great. And of course, if you're at a Super Bowl party, you want to be vibing with the sweets they have on selection. Any good party has to have some sort of sweets after the fact. So you can go to Trader Joe's, get some of those brookies, those uh, uh, brownie cookie hybrid amalgamation. I don't know what they, I don't know how they make it, but it's delicious. So you can go pick that up. Also right now for February, they have these cinnamon bun inspired JoJo's. They're like these little little cookies that are like uh, cinnamon buns. So if you're a big cinnamon bun fan, but you don't want the softness, you want kind of that cookiness, you know, pick up some JoJo's. And then they have the chocolate cheesecake bites, which, just looking at the picture, look delicious. I actually might have to go pick some up tomorrow because they look so good through the photo right here. So, again, if you're a sweet tooth like me, like Ryan, go ahead and pick those up. Gerard, do any of those sweets sound good to you? Yeah, they all sound
0: good to me. I actually just got my mom picked up some what are they They're strawberry chocolate pretzels
1: so Those they're
0: chocolate covered pretzels kind of like flips but they're strawberry and it was like a bag and she got them from trader joe's and i mean i don't know the salt and sweet of pretzels that are chocolate Lethal. covered. Is, yeah it's it's tough to beat man I, <laughs>
1: they're very very good so thank you to trader joe's the official sponsor of the Parasol podcast, and the house of podcasts we have here. So go on to Trader Joe's, stock up for the Super Bowl. I know you're going to need it. I know you're going to need snacks. You're going to need all those goodness for your Super Bowl party. Or even if you're just watching alone, get on over to, to Trader Joe's and stock up. Gerard, you said lethal combination. And you know who's a lethal combination? The official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. That's right. You know her, you love her. Meredith Schlosser, her, and her team are lethal when it comes to getting you the house that you want in the Southern California real estate market. One of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than two five-star Zillow reviews. 200 five-star Zillow reviews. That is that is quality. You can't you can't match. She's represented everyone from Justin Silverstein, head coach of USC's Women Golf. Jeannie Buss, the president of the Los Angeles Lakers. Wouldn't you love to say, yeah, my real estate agent is the real estate agent for Jeannie Buss? president of the Los Angeles Lakers. That's just like a flex you can drop at any part of your route. You could also say she has represented, you know, one star like myself, Chris Trivino. You could also say that if you, if you want to go with the 10 K route, you can go that way as well. Like I said, she's backed by a full service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first time home buyers and sellers she was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. That's not Southern California. That's not the West Coast. That is the entire country, the whole entire nation. So she is elite. She's top of the top. She is five stars all around. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That's S C H L O S S E R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. So you can see all the listings and post things that she has going on with her company and her team that's at Meredith Real Estate on her Instagram go check that out again seriously if you're thinking about you know selling your house buying your house you have to go with Meredith she is the best i put i put my money on that. i put my reputation i put my 10k tattoo on that so go to Meredith if you're looking for the best real estate agent in Los Angeles Gerard we are here we have reached the Colt Open 30 minutes into the start of the show. I think that's the longest we've ever taken to get to the official cold Open. It's not a cold Open. It's probably like a room temperature open, if you will. But it's been a while. We're here. National Signing Day, as I mentioned, three players did sign this morning with the Trojans. So there is some good stuff to talk about. But obviously, I can't start this segment without playing. Because
0: only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line, which is dotted.
1: That's the whole point of signing day, Gerard. We are here. Let's talk about it. USC signed three players. That is uh, Isaiah Rubin, the Los Al cornerback, who was a longtime commit, but did not sign in December, had some stuff going on, but he gets locked in this morning. There was the three-star linebacker out of Portage, Jaden Walker, who flipped from Michigan State. We felt confident about that. Ended up happening early this morning. Not flashy about it, just signed with USC, an official low-key flip. And then the one that came in earlier this week, San Diego defensive lineman Ratmana Boulbavu out of San Diego. I'm just going to call him Mana for the rest of the show because that's what people call him, excuse me, Mana. He's going to go by that name for here because I do not want to keep butchering it over and over. So Mana is what his name is going to be for the rest of the show, Gerard. And we're going to start there with Mana because he was earlier maybe the the sexier of the, the three signees, you know, a defensive lineman, a four-star defensive lineman in the 24-7 sports rankings, number 42 defensive lineman in our rankings, six foot four. He's listed at 260, but he's a little bit heavier than that. His his weight has been you know, variable across different places. There's people that saying it's 290, 275, 280. We're gonna put it at 280 because I do think he is bigger than what is listed, but six foot four. 280 out of Army and Navy Academy, the most patriotic high school in the country. He has been a very, very productive player the last three years in his high school career with 60 plus sacks. You know, can't, can't beat that production. You know, it. there is questions about the, the level of competition that he is playing. But Gerard, there was a point where USC had zero defensive linemen. Defensive linemen in their class. There was a point where they had zero, and it was probably about, I don't know, two weeks before the early signing period. Looks like they're going to end the high school 2024 class with three defensive linemen, two four stars, Carlin Jones out of Texas, a consensus four star, Mana out of San Diego, a four star in our rankings. And then Giade Abasiri, the Minnesota flip, three star out of uh out of Minnesota, six foot five, two hundred and ninety pounds, kind of a raw prospect. So all things considered, a decent little defensive line haul for them with Mana topping it off at the end.
0: Yeah, decent. Don't call it a comeback. Mm -hmm. But USC really making a run on defensive linemen later in the process. And interesting because early on they really just didn't have a lot of scholarship offers out there, and we talked about that last week. In terms of the number of options that they've had the past Two cycles with interior defensive linemen, Edric Houston was one that they brought in in May this past year. And then the year before that, it was Edric Hill who was from Missouri and ended up committing to Alabama. And those were the only the two true interior defensive linemen that they had an official visits up until, you know, later where they go after uh, these newer you know players that I think they're development and their evaluations are based more towards the end of the year, which is a good thing. I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can say, well, this is plan B, clearly, for USC. They weren't able to get the guys that they liked uh, at the outset and had to kind of pivot. But at the same time, you're pivoting on evaluations made on senior film, which is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. We always talk about you want to recruit the best high school seniors in the nation You don't want to sign the best high school Mm -hmm. sophomores in the nation. So it is, uh, from that standpoint, uh, good that USC was able to circle back and they get this one real late in the process. Um, Bola Balavu, as you said, 280 pounds. Good change of direction on film. Uh, Former Washington commit. That's probably his best evaluation point is the fact that Washington wanted him. And Washington has done uh, more with less in terms of highly rated prospects and what have you. They've had some decent defensive lines over the years, and a lot of those guys were like three-star players. They weren't big-time, highly-touted players. Uh, a lot of Polynesian players, of course, Washington's not going to go down in the SEC and pluck a bunch of guys out of Georgia. So they've had to develop those players from West Coast players, and it kind of has gone to shown that you can do that. You can have decent defensive lines. Uh, based on those type of players. So USC is making that move and and following Washington's lead. I think he was committed to Arizona even before Washington. And it was interesting because, you know, he had taken an official visit to Utah. And when it was first talked about, maybe USC was going to get a visit. It sounded like he was going to take the Utah visit after the USC visit. So, The fact that he took that Utah visit and then we knew he was still taking the USC visit was really a good sign for USC. That was kind of why there was some confidence level like USC can can close the deal here. It's really interesting, though, that Utah gets picked over basically three times in this process, committing to Arizona. Utah was recruiting him then committed to Washington. Utah was still recruiting him then. And then he decommits from Washington and Utah gets an official visit and he still Commits to USC. So, I mean, it just seemed like he liked Utah and had a really <laughs> good relationship with those coaches, but just didn't want to go to Utah. And so uh, he ends up uh, kind of falling in USC's lap to a certain extent. Uh, new defensive staff, and certainly the fact that Washington's coaching staff changed, that was very advantageous for USC because they had their defensive staff in line and everybody. Uh, was on staff at that point and they could actually, you know, recruit him with the full staff and give him something to look at. I mean, he was one of the only recruits in this cycle that actually visited USC when the whole staff was complete. And so he got around that, got the vibe with that. And it certainly seemed like uh, that was kind of a big deal. You know, technically uh, if you will look at his primary recruiter by position, it would be Eric Henderson but you've probably got to give Sean Nua some credit here oh, yeah. because, again, you know Sean Nua with those Polynesian ties, that is going to be very important for USC. Um, I think if you're going to have successful um, recruiting classes, you've got to have your foot in the door with the Hawaiian kids, with the Northwestern kids, with the kids in Utah, and the kids locally uh, like uh, Mana who are a Polynesian. And you're going to want to recruit those type of players. So you have to make sure that you have – uh, finger on the pulse you know there and and kind of know who to talk to and uh how to kind of like i said get your foot in the door in these recruitments and usc was able to do this uh down the line um a four-star uh the, the usc football uh in 24 7 sports rankings multi-sport athlete rugby and track which is also a good thing uh plays against bad competition i mean let's just be very real about it you can watch the huddle film and he doesn't have a whole lot of film there but it Pretty mediocre competition. So, again, from an evaluation standpoint, it's hard to see, um, you know, without looking and seeing him in person and seeing him move in person. There are little small things, like I say, change of direction when he's pass rushing and and making moves. uh, He's able to break down and turn a little bit. So you do see some athleticism there. I think, you know, being a multi-sport athlete, that's a, a good box that's checked. Um, But the fact that, you know, Washington wanted him and and having a good year chose to recruit him uh, over maybe some other guys that were more highly touted is is definitely a good thing. So, um, you know, interesting. It's a it's an interesting group that USC brings together on the defensive line. You know, they're averaging like 285 pounds, uh, but they do need an influx of some defensive linemen and some guys that they can develop through the system. We're going to see what the development is like, uh, because we're going to see what they're able to do with Dijon Lafitte. You know, he's a, a very good player, an athletic, big man at 300 pounds, really good feet, um, athletic, has some natural pass rush skills, played outside and inside for Colony High School. Um, he's, you know, got a, a red shirt underneath him. We're going to kind of see, you know, how much he's able to contribute next year. We're going to see with Devon Thompson, how much he's going to be able to contribute next year that's where you start to see really good coaching is where guys are there they have potential haven't necessarily done a whole lot and then it's all of a sudden like the light bulb goes off for them and so that's what you really want to see is the guys that are actually already on the roster how well is USC able to utilize them and have them produce and then you have more optimism for, you know, some of these players that they're bringing in uh, from the high school level. And it, it'll be an interesting sort of contrast as to whether you want to go down that road and try to cherry pick guys like Bear Alexander and get those guys that are castaways from SEC schools, which Bear Alexander was very good for USC last year. You know, that mm-hmm. that that's a, a very tempting sort of aspect of the transfer portal in modern day recruiting. But you also have that aspect of development, and we've seen on the offensive side of the ball with Lyman that USC this cycle seemed to be more satisfied with what they brought in from the high school ranks. The five players they brought in in the 2023 class, I think clearly they saw those guys develop over the course of the season, and there had to be a conversation between Lincoln Riley and Josh Henson about, okay, how aggressive do we really want to be in the transfer portal? Do we really want to go after a bunch of guys, excuse me, like we did last year? And, you know, that was a mixed bag in terms of what we got production-wise. How do we like our young guys? How how much weight are they able to put on? How strong are they getting? How quickly can they develop? And what's the ceiling with guys like Alani Noah and Amos Telelele and Tobias Raymond, as opposed to the guys that we brought in that were finished products, uh, like your Jared Kingston's, uh, like your Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel Pregnon's, although Emmanuel Pregnon, I think, is very raw and certainly not a, a finished product, but Michael Tarquin. That's where you're you're, you're you're contrasting and you're trying to evaluate, you know, how much do we get from the transfers as opposed to how much do we get from the high school guys with the confidence that we can coach them up. And then eventually, you know, their sophomore years, their redshirt sophomore years, they're able to come in and contribute. You know, what level of play do we get from those guys? And so we're seeing that in real time right now. You know, we're seeing that on the offensive line. We're seeing that on the defensive line. And it's just a matter of, you know, really next season where you kind of start to get a better feel for, okay, this is the way it's gonna go. They can go after a bunch of three star guys on the offensive line. They're they're scouting well, they're evaluating well, and then on top of it, they're developing well. So the idea like, oh, you gotta go get those big-time high school football players. No, you gotta go get your guys. Um, and if that doesn't work out, then you know that okay, they need to get better players right out of the bat because they're not necessarily finding guys and making the most out of them if they're underrated it's the sort of yeah stars do really matter and that might be where we conclude you know after this next couple of years I mean certainly we know that from a honeymoon standpoint when we're talking about Lincoln Riley and the coaching staff and that is fading quickly you know and I know for some Trojan fans it faded you know, long ago <laughs> faded after the first loss basically but you know in in truth you really get into that third season and then you start to get into you know three four five games and you're like okay now it's sort of you've had two years plus to sort of build the program what direction is the program going in now you know where is again the development of players that maybe had been on the roster see the problem that we have now with the transfer portal on, on the other hand is that you had so many of those guys leave and that's, so it makes it harder to evaluate what, you know, how well is this coaching staff developing? Because guys that weren't producing under Clay Helton have uh, many of them are no longer on the roster. Whereas, you know, back in the day when you had a coaching staff come in and you had a bunch of guys on the roster that weren't producing necessarily. So you look at like Florida with Ron Zook, Ron Zook recruited a bunch of good players, but she clearly was not getting a lot of production from them. They were not, they were pretty mediocre as a football team in terms of winning games. They were very eight-win-ish. And then you have Urban Meyer come along. And there are so many of those guys that were like, okay, that was a good four-star player, but man, he looks like he's a bust now. He's really not contributing. He's dropping balls. It's just it's like not clicking for him. And then Urban Meyer comes along and all of a sudden that guy starts to look like that four-star prospect again. That's like the clear sign for me of, oh, okay good coaching here this is good coaching you're starting to see your kareem kelly's you know go from being oh he was just a track guy and you know overrated he can't really catch the ball to oh hey there's that four-star guy kareem kelly yeah he's fast and he's a track guy but you know what there's a little more going on there you start to see those players develop but yeah with the transfer portal now (laughs) anybody who's not developing or contributing they're pretty much castaways and they're in the portal now so it's like there's not a lot of those guys to look at to say, okay, let's circle this guy. He's been underwhelming, but now you've got a new coaching staff in there. You know, Can they get something from him?
1: Gerard, you said a name early in that uh, talk you gave, and I, I couldn't figure out who you were talking about, and it just clicked. Devin Tompkins is who you were talking about. So, yeah, that's that would be a good – What did good...
0: I say? Devon Thom- Tom- Tom- Tompkins?
1: You, I think Devin? you said Devon Thompson, and I was like, who oh, – no. Tompkins, who- sorry. Tompkins yeah, it's all right. Lots of names. I get it. I get it. I got you. I got you. Just wanted to clarify.
0: For Sometimes the I don't speak right, you know.
1: Sometimes he don't. I mispronounce
0: speak right. the names. Actually, not the coming that, uh, up. You know, mispronounces the names usually. But. No,
1: that that yeah. There's only one of us here that mispronounces name. right
0: The cousin. Which
1: is his cousin, which is his cousin. I
0: I, I oh, you, you were you were
1: leaving that you were leaving that there for me to pronounce it. I I see what you're <laughs> doing. I, I'm not
0: I'm not. I'm not falling for that. He is the cousin. I I have trouble with that guy like Devon Tompkins. But (laughs) but when it comes to Ratmana,
1: yeah, I did want to give just a shout out to Sean Nua because he did kind of keep this defensive line class, you know, together recruiting most of these guys with some uncertainty above his head about if he was going to stay, if he was going to go, you know, landed Carlin Jones out of Texas, beat out Ohio State for him. I know the family was really impressed with Sean Nua and really, really liked him, wanted him to stay. And then, you know, landing uh, Abbasiri, flipping him from Minnesota, you know, again, while the uncertainty was over his head. And then closing it out with Mana, you know, using that Poly- Polynesian connection and, you know, jumping in on it when he got out of his letter of intent with Washington. And kind of closing with a, a nice little defensive line class. Defensive line is going to be a big Focal point uh, for 2025 because, you know, you're going to be losing Bear Alexander. You're going to be losing Isaiah Rakes at the next level. You're hoping you can develop Anthony Lucas and some of those guys that you mentioned. Elijah Hughes, excited to see what his development looks like after, you know, flashing some ability this past season. See if they'll they'll bump him up. He looked like he was bigger when he arrived on campus, got bigger throughout the season. I wonder if he's going to get even bigger. You know, this spring, this summer, we'll we'll see what that looks like. I'm really curious to see what they do with Sam Green, who's undersized, you know, was, you know, a poster child for that Alex Cringe defense in terms of quicker, smaller lineman. I don't know what that's going to look like with this Danton Lynn scheme. So we'll see what USC does, but they need some development and they need a big class in 2025, but they did a good job of bringing in some pieces at least for 2024. So I did want to give Sean Nua... Some love there in that regard. We can move on to the next defensive piece that USC added, which was technically the new piece that they added, which was a flip in linebacker Jane Walker, who we've talked about a lot on this show. So we don't need to get super deep into Jane Walker, but six foot three, 210 pounds, really athletic basketball player, former wide receiver kind of athlete that kind of grew into being a linebacker, very very violent. Go watch his tape. It's fun. Like the fifth play is him running into a offensive lineman so hard he knocks his helmet clean off. It's 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 good tape. You know, flipped him from Michigan State. He took that official visit in December. Decided to wait off on the early signing period, which was a great sign for USC. Got a couple in-home visits. Really sealed, sealed the deal and, you know, got it done at the end here to add another linebacker to that room. Again, six foot three, 210 pounds. This was actually the first offer that new DC Danton Lynn had made when he joined USC. And you, you hear that as a USC fan. Like, if this guy was the guy Danton Lynn wanted, this was kind of the Danton Lynn was the kind of the lead recruiter on this because they didn't have a linebackers coach until late with Matt Entz. And Matt Entz did go out to see Jaden Walker there in that uh, when the dead period ended after December when he did come on board. But this was the Danton Lynn guy that he liked. He identified it. He wanted for his scheme. So if you hear that as a USC fan, you think Danton Lynn wanted him. I want him too. I'm not really looking at the rating for him. You know, the number 85 linebacker in the 24-7 sports rankings. But this is a guy they're going to try to come in, develop. You know, he's got a lot of good trades, as I mentioned with that list, athleticism, that length, and just like that violence you can't really teach. Uh, I am interested or excuse me i did want to point this out gerard with kind of the linebackers that they've been offering in the 2025 class and then here with Jaden and you know desmond stevens in the 2024 class they're going after like longer taller guys like six foot three every time i look up a new linebacker offer recently they've been in that six foot three six foot two range so it definitely looks like they're going for taller linebackers with the uh, this danton Lynn scheme
0: Yeah, I think length is certainly vogue in the front seven of every defense. It is interesting to see kind of where these guys all line up, though, because with Jaden Walker, he plays at the line of scrimmage. He is an edge rusher for his high school team, and he is listed at 6'3". And so you kind of wonder, okay, is he going to be an edge rusher? Is he going to actually play at the line of scrimmage, or is he going to back off the line of scrimmage and they'll, you know, kind of teach him how to play in space as a as a Mike or a Will linebacker. I've been talking to a few different recruits just about that in terms of nomenclature and, and titles and, you know, where guys are being recruited at. And, and it seems to be kind of a rush in outside linebacker and then middle linebacker uh, sort of layout for the recruits, which is still vague in general to a certain extent. but. When you look at the Ravens defense uh, more recently, that's sort of how they etch it out. It's a rush in, like a Jadavian Clowney's playing a rush end, and then they'll have a Sam linebacker who's their outside linebacker, and it's not very often labeled, you know. And certainly the media is just like they're good with outside linebacker, you know. It's like ESPN, he's an outside linebacker. Okay, cool. But at which one? You know, how is he used? Why is he on the strong side all the time? Is he because that that changes? maybe what you're looking for from a profile standpoint, you know, a Sam linebacker traditionally has been taller and can move off the line of scrimmage usually is stronger because you're playing them on the line at the line of scrimmage, even in a four, three defense, you're usually playing an over that you would have your Sam linebacker at the line of scrimmage just because he wants to get a bump on the tight end. And the tight end is a big boy. It's a six, five, 265 pound receiver coming off the line of scrimmage. So you want some length, you want some height, and you want to be able to have man coverage on him or, you know, potentially on a, on a, uh, a running back. Uh, but the SAM is the strong side linebacker. I mean, that's why they call it SAM. It's strong side, starts with an S, SAM. Weak side starts with the W, WILL. I did mention um and I was again talking about this with some recruits. I, t- I was talking about this with Noah McHale. Um, because Noah's very, you know, cerebral, he, he knows defense and he knows offense. And we were talking about defenses and what have you, and USC's recruiting him as a Mike linebacker now. And so we were talking about, uh, sort of the tree that, uh, D'Anton Lynn came from, which is the Rex Ryan tree. And I, I was just kind of doing research and I said, you know, it was really kind of wild is I saw. At some point they were talking about the defensive scheme and they were labeling their linebackers and they had uh, a Will linebacker and a Sam linebacker, weak side, strong side, but they are outside linebackers. And normally in a 4-3 defense, normally in any defense, the Will linebacker is the weak side inside linebacker. So it was Will and Sam on the outside, but then it was Mike and Ted on the inside. I've never Ted, heard – a Ted inside linebacker in my life. I I, I don't, and I don't know the origin of why they called it the Ted. I've heard of Buck, I've heard of, you know, different names but not the Ted. And he's never heard of that either. So that that was kind of interesting. I don't know that Dan Lynn uses that. I don't think so. I don't think the the Ravens even use that anymore under or former uh, defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. But nevertheless, it, yeah, it will, with Jaden Walker is definitely a little more of a question. We know that with Desmond Stevens He's been recruited to move up to linebacker and probably plays will linebacker again, unless he grows out of it and he's, you know, six, three and a half, uh, 225 pounds now. So he's starting to get to that point where you go, okay, you know, a couple more years in college, he can be 250. And then he's starting to look like those outside linebackers in that scheme. But as you said, there's a lot in terms of length and being at the line of scrimmage, attacking the line of scrimmage. I, I think. That is a little maybe different than we've seen with some of the defenses. I, I feel like with uh, Orlando's defense, Todd Orlando's defense, those linebackers were blitzing a lot and they did recruit some guys that were a little smaller, a little more sought off that would get up field and could um, could could be quick and agile. And that was more of kind of what they were looking for. Uh, with Alex Grinch's defense, I mean it's hard to really know. I, I think the thing that really stands out obviously is a lot of recruiting a lot of edge rushers and defensive ends and trying to make them interior guys. That, that was kind of the what we saw even coming over from Oklahoma, looking at Oklahoma's recruiting classes and seeing the plethora of edge rushers, you know, 6'3", 235, hundred and thirty-five, two hundred forty-pound guys you know, like four or five of those guys every class, and then not necessarily really any 300-pound guys in, in any of those classes. And so you you know that they're trying to um, develop those ends and making them into interior guys, which is fine if they can put on the weight and they do put on the weight, but it seemed like that wasn't necessarily the prerequisite. It's like, hey, we just want to have some 250-pound guys on the interior or defensive line. It's like, okay, you know, that that that's a – Bold strategy, Cotton, and it obviously did not work at Oklahoma and it did not work at USC. So now we see much more of a sort of traditional aggressive front where you've got to have, again, nose tackle that can control the middle of the defense, can take the center, really demand some double teams here and there, particularly on early downs, and then have your linebackers are going to really kind of read and react off of that. Um, you could have two interior defensive linemen, and those guys are going to be bigger. They're going to be in that 280-pound, 275-pound range, uh, ideally. And then your outside linebackers, which are you know almost like uh, Port Augustine end types, are going to be standing out, and they're going to be at 265, 250. And so, yeah, what happens with Jaden Walker, I, I don't know right now in terms of You know, if he's on the line of scrimmage and he's playing more as a Sam, like a strong side linebacker at line of scrimmage, or he's a guy they actually back off and they try to see if he can play in space and play as more of a traditional linebacker.
1: Drort, I just realized we've been moving through the different levels of the defense. We started with Mana, the defensive front. We've moved to the second level with Jaden Walker as a linebacker. And now we're jumping to the secondary with Isaiah Rubin, the Los Alamitos cornerback who has been committed for a minute, but did not sign in December. As I mentioned, there was some stuff going on with the uh, the transcripts. You have to remember that this was a player that transferred uh, multiple times, well not multiple times, but a couple different times. You know, transferred out of Vegas, was going to go to Long Beach Milliken, then didn't end up going to Long Beach Milliken, instead went to Los Alamitos. Had to sit out an entire season, so. Can understand why they maybe they needed to get their transcripts in order. What's why he did not sign in December. Six foot one, one hundred and seventy pounds, a four-star cornerback in the twenty-four-seven Sports rankings, the number thirty-two cornerback prospect. He's a cornerback, but he's very versatile. Could play anywhere in the secondary. So this is a piece that they could move around. Maybe be a nickel, maybe be a safety, what have you. But overall, he's going to bring some defensive back depth for this class, Isaiah Rubin, officially locked in as a Trojan Gerard,
0: Yeah, uh, an interesting case where, as you said, it had been kind of wrapped up uh, at the beginning of the season, and then we got to early signing day, and it, it got weird. Like, you know, <laughs> trying to get a hold of him like that whole month up until early signing day because he took his official visit uh, to USC after the season. After being there at a game, it kind of looked like, He was going to be on an official visit. It was like, no, he's not actually on an official visit this weekend. And it came, I think, the week after. And trying to get him on the phone just to talk to him about the official visit, not really usually a big deal for guys that are already committed. You know, there's not a lot of people calling them. It's, you know, you're committed to this school and – uh, you can really, you know, just kind of gloat about your decision being great. And, oh, man, I made the right decision. It was amazing. And he just was impossible to get a hold of. I mean, absolutely impossible. Coaches that have known him for years were trying to get him on the phone and connect us, and, like, it wasn't happening. So all of a sudden, you know, red flags started being raised, and, you know, you start asking, well, what's the deal here? Like, is there something else going on? Did he, you know, is he still committed to USC? Is USC going to drop him? Is something happened? And yeah, it sounded like it was some grades, some academic things going on with transcripts. And like Chris said, he'd bounced around to a couple of high schools and um, you know, it sounds like USC's good to go now with those transcripts. I don't know if he still has, um, he certainly doesn't have a lot of work to do uh, to be qualified, but you know, you do understand that there's some things that, you know, did weren't there uh, up until early signing period and they became question marks. And so Uh, we'll see how that goes over the next few months when he actually enrolls, you know. So, um, yeah, a a, a good player, uh, you know, decently talented player, you know, does uh, return some kicks. Certainly, if there's some disappointment, it is at uh, the defensive back position just in terms of, you know, what USC was able to land and what was available. Uh, It was a pretty solid year locally for defensive backs, and they did have to pivot uh, quite a bit there. And, you know, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why, Dante Williams is not uh, on the coaching staff anymore. You know, he was looked at as being sort of an elite recruiter and wearing that hat. And, you know, maybe that's on him. Maybe there's some issues there with NIL and the approach and strategy there. I mean, I can't say. I mean, certainly you would get different opinions from different people, depending on who you ask on that subject. But that's one where, you know, USC kind of. They, they backed into some recruitments a little more than they were able to get the guys that they really circled early on. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's going to be a position that they're going to need bodies at. They're going to need talented players. They're going to need playmakers. I mean, they're, they're going to see some mm-hmm. really good receivers at uh, particularly at Ohio State and some of these other schools. Now, the one thing that's a, you know, a, a, a positive note is clearly when you go to the Big Ten, there, there's going to be more run offenses. And so, you know, we've seen USC try to get more physical up front. And that's a big concern. Uh, maybe you don't have as much concern week in, and week out playing against these teams um, in terms of their pass offenses. You know, some of them are, are pretty darn bad, actually. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if that affects them uh, as much. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely wasn't the strongest position for them in this class.
1: Gerard, that is going to wrap up our talk about USC's three additions to the 2024 class with Mana, Jaden Walker, and then Isaiah Rubin, which means that the final addition to the 2024 high school class, and that means we can kind of look at it from the overall view now that everyone is in it, from that 30,000 foot view, if you will. It's going to finish around the number 17 class in the nation, obviously. Far from what USC fans had expected for the 2024 class. You know, it being projected as a top 10 class, top five class even maybe. But now we can kind of look at it from an overall, excuse me, point of view. I guess we have to start in the trenches when we look at this class because five offensive linemen, another five offensive linemen. They signed five in 2023. Josh Henson has signed 10 now over the last two cycles, just replenishing that offensive lineman the the highest rated player is an offensive lineman Jason Zandamella who we are really high on the number 1 rated interior offensive lineman in the class it's not always the you know the sexiest thing to have an uh, offensive lineman as your number 1 rated prospect especially if it's interior offensive lineman if it's like a five star tackle sure you, you can get away with that but USC did not have you know a top quarterback in this class it didn't get an elite kind of skill player at running back or wide receiver. Didn't get one of those guys. So Jason Stanemella is your highest rated prospect and then you sign those three interior defensive linemen who we kind of mentioned there at the top of the show with Mana and Abisiri and Carlin Jones. So that's eight trench players that USC signed in this class. Really good for the offensive line, decent for the defensive line, but that seems to kind of be one of the backbones of this 2024 cycle the beef gerard if you will
0: yeah we talked about that after the early signing day when your top rated player is an interior offensive lineman that's usually not going to be an elite class Um, if it was an offensive tackle it kind of correlates with the nfl draft it could be a really big time class but usually when it's an interior guy it's not going to be the most elite class nationally it's a class with some utility because as Chris says you get eight linemen true linemen and three of those being on the defensive side getting three guys that can play in the interior is a big deal and getting five more offensive linemen where USC looked like they were only going to take three maybe four over the summer they expand that and again I think that's because there's some self-evaluation that was going on there with some of the players that they brought in from the previous class and they looked at those guys they said you know these guys are going to be okay. Like we're going to get these linemen right. And we're going to be at a point where we can have Tobias Raymond compete for a starting job. I mean, that's what that tells me when they come back to the high school ranks and they go after a few players that were more or less looked at as maybe reaches uh, before the summer and bringing those guys in. And so I, I think with five, Um, Offensive lineman, you know, again, that's a development sort of position for USC uh, in in terms of trying to get some guys uh, like a Cololo Taaga, you know, who's 6'7", 265, um, three star, um, another sort of development type player, which going into the summer, I don't know if USC was really thinking like we're going to go and bring these type of players in. I think the thought before the season was, if we're at that point, if we're at that point in our board, we're down that far in our recruiting board, we're going to start looking at transfers. And I think during the season, that opinion changed, and and that was partially because of how the transfers played, and that's partially because of how that 2023 freshman class was playing in practice. Um, so yeah, that's the the trenches, linebackers, and rushes. Uh, We get five players that fit that category. We just talked a little bit about that when we talked about Jaden Walker flipping from Michigan State. You've got Desmond Stevens, who's played cornerback, played safety, has never played linebacker. But we see on film the physicality that he has as a safety, particularly with the senior film. You know, When he was uh, coming out here for the official visit and we started talking about him and hearing there was a good chance USC was going to be able to land his commitment. Um, getting to see his senior film was like, wow, okay. Junior film was okay. It was, it's pretty decent. But the senior film is really what stands out. And then seeing that he's already put on that weight, uh, you're kind of excited about him. I mean, I think he's kind of one of the guys in this class that you, know, you can kind of pound the table for being a, a bit underrated. Uh, Jaden Walker, we just talked about him. Cameron Fountain, you know, one of the real marquee type of players in the, in the class, along with Elijah Newby. I think with uh, with Cameron Fountain, he's an interesting player because he's definitely at the cusp of being a profile which you could put weight on and he could be a five technique with his hand on the ground or in this defense could be a guy that can still stick around 260 pounds. Right now he's 245. He'll be an easy 250, maybe 260 uh, if they want to put that weight on him. The question is in terms of change of direction speed, spatial awareness – Um, the skill to be able to play away from the line of scrimmage uh, in in certain downs, you know, is he a three down guy as an outside linebacker in that defense? Can he get back into the curl? Can he be a little bit of a difference maker um, just against RPOs and what have you? Because so much of offenses that we're seeing, uh, you know, if you're going, when you're going into the big 10, you're going to see more run game, right? You're going to see more downhill run game, but you're going to continue to see a lot of the passing game behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage with RPO. So that's where those type of players, sometimes you've got to play away from the line of scrimmage, but you still have to have that physicality even when you're playing in space. And so we don't really know 100% yet. If Cameron Fountain that guy that can do that, you know, is it more of a, okay, this is a Drake Jackson situation where clearly with his hand on the ground, playing more as an edge guy, or even bouncing inside and playing some three technique on pass rush downs. That's where his skills are. That's really where he needs to be. He does not need to be at 250. He needs to be closer to 275, 280 and use that extra weight and that extra strength to be a guy that can combine that with his natural pass rushing skills. He can be really elite that way. Or is, like I said, he a guy that you can actually kick out and use as um, a, a, an outside linebacker that can occasionally get into the flats or get back into the curls. My my inclination from just what I've seen from him, I kind of feel like maybe he would be better putting on the weight and kicking down, kind of as we see Anthony Lucas but again, I'm not completely sold one way or the other. I I I need to see him more in person. I, I just need to see him be able to move and kind of see the hips and what have you to to know whether he's that guy and he can be a true outside linebacker. Lorenzo Cowan, we know even less about. You know, we've seen yeah. huddle film and what have you. He's a he's a just really more of an edge rusher. He's more of a vertical linear type of edge rusher. Uh, but he's not as big as Cameron Fountain. You know, Cameron is is nearly six six. Like I said, two hundred forty pounds. He might be six pounds. seven, Jared. He might be six seven at this point. He he's he's big. He's a big boy. Uh, Lorenzo Cowan is is more like in that six three, six three and a half range. So we'll have to see what happens. He's the lowest rated player uh, of, of USC's class. Um, and then you have Elijah Newby, who's a wild card. You know, Elijah Newby – I watch him on film and I see a guy who could play inside linebacker. I see a guy who could maybe play at the line of scrimmage, you know, depending on how much weight he puts on. He's a legit 6'4", and he's and he's pretty long in terms of his arms. But then, you know, there's some offensive film of him. You watch him move and what have you, and you think, okay, this is a guy that runs like, like a 10-9, 10-8 in track. Maybe he could be a sort of quasi-nickel linebacker as well. You know, I, I still think – there's that sort of, um, you know, unicorn on the on the roster in Eric Gentry, and you know, Dantonio's going to be put to the test, just like Eric, uh, or excuse me, Alex Grinch was put to the test in trying to find unique ways to get Eric Gentry on the field and get him to where he can make plays. That that's a challenge that well, Lynn has to. He has to take head on, and he has to pass it. He has to pass that because we saw without scrimmage, he failed miserably. Because he yeah, they his got, solution was not putting him on the field. That was what yeah, was and then and then make excuses, and then there was all kinds of weird stuff about oh yeah, he was rusty, and then you know, Air Gentry turns around and tweets no, it wasn't rusty, and then that that tweet gets deleted. The optics on it were horrible. The execution of it was horrible. There was just there was no plan, and it's just like how how could you see. How productive he was the year before. How good he was the year before. The guy's clearly tough. He's got great football IQ. He's athletic. He's just got a very unique frame and a unique body. He needs to gain more weight, yes, for sure. But you can do so many things that I mean, at face value, it just seems impossible. It just doesn't seem like how can he be your more the most physical player in your front seven at the at the at in the goal line. Like, go line situation you watch them play against and You go watch Eric Gentry. Go watch him play. Go see how he attacks the hole. Go see how he tackles at 6'6", 210 pounds, which is probably being a bit optimistic. I don't know if he actually ever got to 210, 215. But, I mean, you're watching a guy sacrifice his body as a freaking beanpole. And he still slams. He still makes it happen. He's more like a baseball bat out there. And so – yeah, I, I just don't know what happened last year. I mean, that was a big question, and that sort of is, is one of those things that you can kind of use as a talking point as to what went wrong with that defense. And dantelin has got to do better. You know, he's got to find a way. Like, hey, this guy can be very productive, can be a very good player for us. We need to find some wrinkles to, to make the offense adjust to Eric Gentry. I think that's where you go, okay – this is really working when – and D'Antolin did a lot of that with UCLA. It, it, it doesn't mean, oh, of course he's going to do it at USC because I've seen that happen a lot where you're like, oh, well, this happened here and this worked here. So, of course, this person is going to figure out how to do the same thing here. It, it doesn't always correlate. It just, just doesn't always happen. But we did see D'Antolin move guys around and use players that certainly don't fit – that defensive scheme traditionally, guys like Carl Jones, um, even even Latu, the love of Clay Helton's life, was a guy that you know they moved all over the place. Two sixty five, and sometimes he was playing on the inside, sometimes he was playing on the outside. Um, the 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 Murphy twins, uh, I, I, is it the Murphy twins, yeah, the um, Murphy twins, Grayson and Gabriel and Gabriel. Um, and Gabriel, Gabriel. I mean, particularly Gabriel was used, uh, again, like 6'3", 265, and there was times when he was a three technique, a three technique. So, you know, Dantelin just saw, hey, these are my best guys, and maybe they're playing out of position, and maybe I'm not getting the most out of them having to move to that position, but I want to get the the best players on the field at the same time. And so if it's a bunch of pass rush guys and somebody's got to play inside whatever – I'm going to still use those guys. I'm still going to get them on the field. And they, even though out of position, clearly Gabriel Murphy was not a three technique at 6'3", 265 pounds, but he was still better than whoever the actual three technique they had. And that – so that kind of like we'll figure it out, but we want to get our best players on the field and try to make some plays – D'Anton Lynn did that at UCLA. So uh, there is definitely optimism that he can do the same thing at USC with Eric Gentry. And again, maybe down the road with Elijah Newby. Elijah Newby is less of a unicorn, less of a, a kind of a strange body and what have you. I mean, he's 6'4". He's and I think fifteen pounds at this point. So he'll be 225. He could very easily be an inside guy. You, you Again, you could potentially put him on the outside if he gains more weight he's a little lean right now for that so i tend to think that he's either an inside linebacker or he's a guy that you potentially could kick out as a sam uh, off the line of scrimmage really playing more of as an, a nickel back uh, maybe in nickel situations so it'll be interesting though he is a guy that could be a potential mismatch and a wild card and, and again you know everybody thinks of defense is having to adjust to the offense but i think the good defensive coordinators they find guys personnel-wise, that can force the offense to adjust. And and a lot of times that's at the line of scrimmage where they have no choice. And if you've just got a good three technique or you've got a good edge rusher, you the offense has to adjust to that because you, you have to. Your quarterback is going to be on his back the whole game if that doesn't happen. But guys away from the line of scrimmage, I think you can do that too. And, again, Eric Gentry might be one of those guys. I think Eric Gentry is one of those guys. I think Elijah Newby could be one of those type of players.
1: You said wild card, so obviously I have to.
0: Wild card bitches! Yeah!
1: I've been waiting to break that one out, so I just had to throw that in there, Gerard. I'm so sorry, and I don't know why, but the way you said um, Eric Gentry, like go watch that cow game, he still slams. I don't know why. That was just such a fun turn of a term, of phrase that you use. I don't know. He, so I'm just gonna be using that all. 2024, he still slams. So I don't know if that's like a a saying people you say, or you just like said he still slams as I don't know, just like came to your head, but I I love it. I love it so much. I just want to let you know that he still slams. So I'm going to be using that moving forward. And then kind of the last component of this class is your defensive backs. You know, they signed five defensive backs, you know, rounding it out with Isaiah Rubin Two of those defensive backs are consensus four stars, and Marcellus Williams, your your uh, elite cornerback out of St. John Bosco in the Trinity League, and then Mar- marquis Gallegos, who you know provided our mariachi uh, halftime music, so and a cilantro boy through and through. So those are your two four star guys, both early enrollees, and you know that that's a good looking class. I, I you know, obviously you you lose Dakota Fields, which would have you know, really made that class, uh, the the defensive back class look really good. But I think you're, you're happy with the haul that you had at the defensive back level. We've kind of been looking at it sort of in a positive light as we've just, you know, talked about the offensive line, the defensive line, the linebackers, the edge rushers, your defensive backs. But there are issues with the class that you're looking for. And we've kind of like, mentioned then from here and there. You know, one being there's no like true star power. I know you have the number one interior offensive lineman, but not it's not star power. I know Cameron Fountain maybe could be you argue as as star, but there's no like star juice there. You don't have a quarterback, which I mentioned, which you know kind of you know diminishes the class ranking in, in that terms you, you would have liked to bring a quarterback in with Caleb Williams on his way out but people are so you know in on Miller Moss maybe you're okay with that you did get you know Jaden Maeva in the transfer portal so you kind of fill that hole a little bit you know not getting a, a class you do have Julian Lewis coming in in 2025 reclassified so that kind of maybe washes over that a little bit you missed out on that second running back more of the unit. We knew USC really wanted that second running back, really wanted the second running back. Weren't able to get Taylor Tatum, who would have brought a little bit of star power, but as Gerard mentioned numerous times over the summer, you know, it's not a great running back class with your number one running back prospect, not even being a five-star player. So a down year for the running backs, only got one in Brian Jackson, a three-star at McKinley, Texas. And then you did want multiple wide receivers. You had multiple wide receivers you wanted three wide receivers you only signed one you lost one on a flip uh and Ryan Pelham to Oregon and then you weren't able to get that uh that big time wide receiver you've been courting all year whose name I'm blanking on Gerard so you should help me out
0: at Draylon this moment. Miller
1: Draylon Miller that's who you wanted to get put a lot of eggs and chips and guac in that basket didn't end up happening even when there was an opportunity late <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, man. only and,
0: and chips in the basket.
1: Yeah, and eggs. All of that. All of that in there. You, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. You got Xavier D.J. Jordan, who's, you know, a, a, a decent local get. That's, that's a good get. I think he could contribute this season as an early enrollee. But you wanted more. Kind of have a little bit of a depth thing going on with the wide receiver. You're probably going to have to add a veteran in the spring portion of the transfer portal. So... It's, it's kind of a weird class in terms of your skill players. Did sign two tight ends, Walter Matthews, who I still think maybe is a tackle. And then Joey Ocean, a.k.a. Joey Olson, who is more of a flex wide receiver as opposed to traditional tight end. So a, a weird class in terms of the uh, the skill players, Gerard, which is weird because it's, off- it's a Lincoln-Riley offense. You know, you, you figure it should be easier or they would have had more success with some high-end skill guys.
0: Yeah, it's the opposite of what you would assume from a USC class, which is good and it's bad. I mean, clearly Lincoln Riley heard a lot of the criticism about needing to get bigger in the interior. And one of the first things that he said during the early signing day press conference, which they did not have a press conference today Mm -hmm. for signing day, which kind of also tells you how there really wasn't a lot to talk about. But in the early signing period, you know, kind of one of the first things he talked about is, oh, there's enormous players, and really playing it up for the media because he knows that there's been a lot of criticism in terms of their physicality up front and how they play up front. So the answer is kind of into this class where you, you talk about eight players in the class of 22 being interior uh, big linemen, which are going to play with their hand on the ground, right? And even with the linebacker position getting some bigger linebackers, you know, across the board, edge rushers and guys that are all in that 6'3", 6'4", uh, sort of um, heights um, and Cameron Fountain being even bigger and probably 6'6". So, you know, from that standpoint, it was sort of skill players that were the kind of afterthought in the class in terms of marquee. And, and again, 30,000 foot view is USC put a lot more emphasis into the trenches, into the line but you know in terms of quality you know how many guys do they get you know obviously with the offensive line there was some star power locally with guys like Brandon Baker and DeAndre Carter you miss out on those guys so then you're kind of going down the line and you are going after players that are more development type of players now you know bad news is those guys aren't going to be able to contribute right away good news is you know, maybe USC has seen some things with similar type of players that they recruited in the 2023 class, and they feel confident that they will get those guys where they need to be. It'll take maybe another year or two, but they'll end up being very good players for them. So again, that's a bit of a wait and see um, in terms of, yeah, what didn't go right with the class and, and why it wasn't a great class, why it wasn't the top 10 class. I mean, certainly, Lack of star power, and particularly with Caleb Williams leaving, you know, wins the Heisman Trophy, leaves early for the NFL. He'll be the number one pick in the NFL. You really kind of want to recruit on the coattails of that. I mean, you want to bring in a guy, I would think, in the 2024 class that was a big time quarterback to come in and compete right away, that he feels like he's going to be able to play as a true freshman and beat out Miller Moss uh, for that title. Now, it is a bit of an asterisk because you had Malachi Nelson in the 2023 class coming in. And so that threw everything off him transferring out. I'm sure that was not something that, you know, at this time a year ago, Lincoln Riley was even fathoming. So it it does, you know, this is, this is kind of recruiting nowadays, right? With the transfers, it's like you, you, you know, they, they, they give us and then they take us away and so I think that still is kind of an issue a little bit, you know, because USC did recruit um, 2024 quarterbacks. I mean, they were very ready to bring in Dylan Riola. They were very ready to go after G.J. Lagway. Those were really the only two that they really, really wanted until the very end when they kind of sort of recruited Julian Sand uh, after he decommit from Alabama. But Uh, you know, that's really one-sided in terms of the information we got on that and how much USC really liked him. What we know is that Clay Helton and Lincoln Riley initially did not recruit Julian Sand at all. Now, why Clay Helton didn't offer him and wasn't interested in him, I mean, I think they just felt like he didn't fit the system, wasn't a a big-time quarterback. And maybe that's just a bad evaluation, but basically that seemed to be the reasoning behind not pursuing him now with Lincoln Riley I think it was more they put all those eggs and guac as Chris says into the Dylan Riola basket originally and then they got burned there and they and they did that twice and they got burned twice basically by Dylan Riola and, uh, and DJ Lagway was sort of in there too and uh, where they really liked him and, and certainly I think he was a, a very good fit but eventually you know commits to Florida and he stayed solid to Florida so yeah, the, the quarterback position, there was potential there that they would be able to bring somebody in off of the heels of Caleb Williams leaving the NFL. And like I said, you want to strike while the iron is hot. And so you sort of miss an opportunity there being able to bring in a big time guy uh, because of all the success that Caleb Williams had and being able to recruit off that success. Now, certainly they're going to try to parlay that in the 2025 class, with Julian Lewis, we'll see if they're able to hang on with him. Uh, but But you kind of want to stack these guys up. You know, I mean, that's, so one of those things, you know, if you're going to be one of those programs, that's elite, and you're going to be in that top four, top five conversation year in and year out. There's no, well, we recruited this guy the year before, like that. That that doesn't happen. That's not a that's not a thing. I mean, we've seen the championship run at USC. We know what it looks like, and it looks like every single cycle, you bring in good players at every position, and and it figures itself out in spring ball, and it figures itself itself out in fall camp. And it figures itself out throughout the season and and whoever's the best, the cream rises to the top, if you will. Um, So that, yeah, definitely something with, with no, you know, big time quarterback in the class, it's going to be hard to get into that like top five, top three echelon of recruiting classes. It's very rare where if you don't have a quarterback in the class, you're going to be that high and then not having a big time running back in the class when, you know, USC needs one, you know, they needed to have a guy come in from the high school ranks yeah, Taylor Tatum was kind of the highest ranked. Yeah, not there's just he's, he's not a, a a spectacular, sudden, explosive type of runner. He, he is very much more methodical and, and more, quite frankly, more the type of running back that you would see go to Michigan uh, versus even Oklahoma or USC. And, and Michigan was a big player for him for a while, and then it became more about USC, and then Oklahoma was able to come in with the baseball angle. So. You know, were there other guys out there that they could have got that were, you know, still going to be big time players that they could have got that would have been guys that would have still risen the overall um, optics of the class in terms of getting playmakers? Yeah, there, there's probably some other guys out there, but they didn't get any of them. And and, and again, only getting the one wide receiver uh, when, you, when, you know, clearly they they need more wide receivers and that's a position that never seems to be of an issue for USC. The only time it was an issue for USC is the back end of the Clay Helton era, uh, in which you were losing receivers to Oregon despite Mario Cristobal having a pretty awful offense, particularly pass offense, and not having any kind of tradition of putting receivers in NFL, where USC, on the other hand, had an air raid offense that they were throwing the ball 50, 60 times a game. And you're just like, wait a second. So USC, that's put a bunch of receivers in the NFL historically, put receivers in the NFL just recently, Michael Pittman and Amon Ra and Nelson Aguilar and Robert Woods, etc. Drake London. Drake London, like well, what's happening here? What, what's going on? that And that period, that period was the end, the beginning of the end for Clay Helton. You know, that was really where you started to look at it and go, okay, this is this is not working out.' You're, you're not able to recruit positions that traditionally you recruit really well at. and on paper you should be recruiting really well at. So that's gonna be something to watch. Um, you know, we'll see how they open up with the 2025 class and it's not a banger year for wide receivers in 2025. you know it's not looking super strong. at least locally, uh, we'll see what they're able to do nationally. and kind of get to feel like they are looking nationally almost first because there's really not. A lot of big time local players at the wide receiver position, which in itself is rare. So, you know, USC not being able to sign more than one good local receiver is a bit rare. And you know what? That's not to under uh, play how good Xavier Jordan is, because he is a very good wide receiver. He's not spectacular athletically. He's not going to blow you away in terms of his speed and what have you. He's just one of those guys that just catches everything thrown at him. Like he is very, very good with the ball in the air. He has great ball skills. He has a sneaky, good routes. And Deontay Burnett. Um, now different player, bigger player, uh, just kind of different. Um, it, it's hard to explain. There's a genesis qua to guys that just have that ability to separate latent routes. And, and it's just a certain awareness and instincts and he's got him. He's just one of those guys that's just got that ability. He's got to focus, though. He's got to be a guy that really gets to work and, and you know, stays on the straight and narrow and doesn't get distracted. Um, but he could be a very good player for USC. He could be very productive for USC. I, I do think it's unfortunate that, you know, you tend to look at what you missed instead of what you got. And it's just one of those situations where you're looking for three and you miss out on two And it's like, okay, that becomes a little bit more of the talking point. Because the truth of the matter is USC needs those players. They lost a lot of players out of that junior class at receiver. And so they do need to develop some depth. Everybody kind of looks at the 2023 class and 24 classes, and particularly with the, you know, the batch that they brought in with Jacoby Blaine and you get Deuce Robinson, who's kind of technically a a wide receiver at this point still. um, And you get Zach Branch. You know, you've got a really nice looking 2023 class that, you know, you're saying, oh, well, you've got these freshmen they are getting able to come in and and you can throw Makai Lemon in there. There's no worries. But it's like, you know, with the receiver position, you look at the amount of rotation that that goes into it and you look at the fact that, I mean, you had a guy like Mario Williams there. You had Taj Washington. That doesn't stop you from going after Zach Branch. Like Zach Branch was not going to just sit on the sideline and say, oh, I'm going to wait my turn. All of that, it raises the competition level in the receiver room, and you're going to get better players on the field. You're going to get better play even out of your veterans. I mean, quite frankly, I think Mario Williams probably should have been benched way earlier in the season for Taj Washington. I think that was something that we, can, we concluded. Basically, as they got into the meat of the roster – or, excuse me, the meat of the, the, the schedule, it's like, you know, Taj Washington is making these plays. Mario Williams, you know, bless his heart, he seemed like he was like a really good teammate. He seemed like he was always smiling – always positive um, you know he was a decent locker but man he would just be good for like one or two bad drops a game and it's like look at you got this guy Tosh Washington's making all the catches and it's clearly a lot more explosive I, I think Mario Williams was one of the bigger disappointments when he came over from Oklahoma I think one of the biggest things I was wrong about uh, was was feeling like he could do a lot of the things that Jordan Addison w- could do hmm. and when USC was going after Jordan Addison I was like you know that's a that's a really good get. Jordan Addison's a good player, but they got Mario Williams, and I think Mario Williams is a really good player. And I, production wise, if we're just going by how he played at USC and the balls he caught and the plays he made, that just was a completely off. That was I was wrong. <laughs> I was just wrong on that. <laughs> Jordan Addison just better, just more athletic, uh, uh, clearly better in terms of the impact he can make on the game. Because he's um, from Maryland. And and yeah and just you know just he he he's an elite level player and Mario just never got to that level. I mean, quite frankly, I think Michael Jackson was outplaying him when he was healthy. The problem with Michael Jackson is he wasn't healthy. And so if you got a healthy Michael Jackson the whole season, I'm like I don't see where Mario Williams is seeing the field anymore between you know Michael Jackson, Zach Branch, and then you're gonna throw in a guy like Taj Washington. So yeah, I mean you know you you lose some. Players there, and you do have that good freshman class that's coming in, but you want that freshman class to be pushed by a new freshman class, right? And the sophomores are being pushed, and maybe you get a guy that's a playmaker. So I think certainly being sort of low-hanging fruit that we look at the receiver position recruiting-wise for USC, it is surprising that you know they were kind of struck out. And listen, at the same time, I mean, was it a good decision for Ryan Pelham to decommit from USC and go to Oregon because you know, I think part of that was is he gonna be recruited over by transfers? No, that that's not the way it played out. But now he's in Oregon and they have recruited over him like crazy yeah. with receivers. That receiver room looks totally different uh today than it did, you know, right before he signed. And so that's you know, one of those things where it's like, hey, you know, USC's kind of just gotta do their thing and recruit the guys that wanna be there. And, and if guys are gonna decommit at the last minute, and Lincoln Riley sort of took a shot at that, it seemed, and I was reading between the lines there, but it seemed like, you know, he said something to the effect at that press conference in December. If guys are going to decommit at the last minute, then those aren't the guys you really want on your team. They're not going to be in it for the long haul anyways, and they're going to probably not really, they're they're not going to be loyal to the process and and what it takes to be, you know, a winner and, and to be a guy that can contribute um and because you know Ryan Pelham was one of those guys that you know decommitted late I kind of got the feel that was what Lincoln Riley was referring to not to put words in his mouth because he didn't say that but he he alluded to sort of that last minute decommitment and I just kind of look at it and go man I mean but did that you know did that really work out for for Ryan Pelham whereas you know he would have been at USC he would have been in a good position to play earlier than I think initially you know I think he's a little raw he's definitely got a little more work to do in terms of routes and what have you but he's got some speed he's got some playmaking ability and I think he could probably crack the depth chart and get in there and just make some plays as a freshman you know get get your name out there I mean it's like we're talking about Jacoby Lane right now Jacoby Lane didn't really make a lot of like big plays throughout the season he wasn't like a go-to guy he wasn't like somebody that they were putting in there and they were depending to make a big play on third and sixth through the air he just made some splash plays here and there, particularly in the bowl game. So it's like, okay, late in the season, not, not really an important game for USC. I mean, it was important. You want to win it. You don't want to lose another bowl game and, and with the season and the way the last, you know, end of the season went. But in terms of what you're getting out of it, it was really just more of a showcase. And, you know, he made that that that, that splash. And now people are talking about Jacoby Lane, you know, going to be the next uh, – maybe Dwayne Jarrett type of player. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, Ryan Bellman had that ability to maybe do that at USC. Is he going to be able to do that at, at, at Oregon with Oregon's recruiting all these re- receivers out of the transfer portal and G- Gatlin Blair they have now, who's going to take a mission. So that's not really so much of an issue, but um, it's just, you know, the dynamics there with USC recruiting and, the again, kind of low-hanging fruit, uh, the receiver position. It's going to be interesting because, they, they miss out on some local guys, uh, in the 2024 class. And, you know, clearly, like you said, with Draylon Miller, they really put a lot of eggs in that basket. They really tried to recruit, they really liked Draylon Miller. I think Draylon Miller liked USC a lot too, but it was just one of those things where, you know, NIL was just, that was the factor. That was the, the sort of thing that this, they were never going to actually end up <laughs> together because of that. That was a a big brick wall in the middle of that uh, relationship. And, and and now you go to the 2025 class and it's not a good year locally, which is rare. You know, we don't see any initial wide receivers that are like, you know, top, you know, 100, top 50 type of guys. Chris Lawson out of San Francisco, I think is the highest rated uh, wide receiver in the 2025 class in California. And that's a Northern California guy and we know USC, Northern California is eh, sometimes two ships passing in the night. They haven't recruited particularly well in Northern California over the years. And, and with skilled players, they haven't recruited very well. It's usually more Oregon. It's more, I don't know. Those guys are a little harder to read. So I don't necessarily know if they're going to have like this great shot at landing him. In Southern California, there's just not a lot of big time guys in the 2025 class right now. Um, so now you're going to have to go and you're going to have to see some of these players out of state and you're going to have to go after those guys, which, you know, you never know if it becomes another Draylon Miller situation where, you know, you end up in the NIL and um, if USC continues to have their approach, they're not going to have shot a bunch of those guys. Let's just be real about it. They're not going to be able to get those guys unless there's going to be changes, whether it be within the scope of the NCAA and how things are done with collectives or it's the scope of how USC approaches NIL and, and what they do with NIL, high school kids specifically. There's got to be some change there in order for them to be involved with a bunch of the guys we're about to talk about. We are about to talk about that. But before we do that, we're going to take
1: a break, Gerard. When we come back, we'll talk about all the big-time prospects that were on campus before the dead period begins, and then a little bit about the pylon tournament that we were at. So we'll be right back after this break.
0: Gerard, how was your break? The lights are still on. The Wi-Fi is still working, so we're good.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you can hear that's for you or the listeners, but it just started pouring over here in her, uh, Redondo Beach, so the water is spraying the uh, the window, so it's, it's getting a little hectic outside. It's still freezing in here. And, Gerard, very quickly, I did want to bring it back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the show. I was texting my brother, about uh alignment that Marilyn had flipped from Auburn. And then he texted me like, wait, was it National Signing Day today? So <laughs> that kind of tells you uh, what we were talking about in the beginning of all this. So Gerard, you did hint at what we were going to be talking about after the break. It's kind of our only topic here after the break. And that was a- another big visitor weekend for the Trojans mixed with the Pylon Tournament, which is why... All these visitors were in town to play up there in Baldwin Park for Pylon LA 7-on-7 seven seven and 5-on-5. Five five. So they had a little bit O-line, D-line going on as a, in addition to the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. Now, we have been posting stories since Sunday when we left Baldwin Park. So there are more in-depth VIP stories up about interviewing these kids who had just stopped by USC. So you can get that VIP coverage there at uscfootball.com so we'll be maybe a little bit more vague than usual because we do have vip content of gerard and if you're interested come on down join the peristyle what's but-
0: the sale right now chris what's the there's a usually a percentage you can get off of it, a new it, membership. Yeah,
1: yeah, it does. It doesn't matter, Gerard. By the time this goes live, the the sale will be <laughs> well, the sale will be be over. But I believe it might be at thirty percent off by the time you're listening to this. It was sixty percent off, and then it was seventy five percent off, and it usually goes down to thirty percent off or a dollar for your first month. So, yeah, I'm not doing a great job of selling you, but by the time you listen to this, the the big sale will have ended. Will have ended. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gerard. But yeah, that that's the way the cookie crumbles, or that's the way the guacamole smushes. In this case, but I don't know really how where to start it because we were at Pylon. Do we talk about Pylon? Do we talk about the visitors? Do we talk about both at the same time? I think the big storyline from the weekend was a lot of defensive line and front front players were on campus. You know, Eric Henderson made his debut the week before with the junior day event that USC had. That was kind of a warm up. This was the big weekend for him to kind of show out and be Coach Henny for these guys. You had some big time guys like Myron Charles, Brandon Brown, Jared Smith. A lot of these high end elite guys in the 2025 cycle were on campus. Got to meet Coach Henderson. You know, he obviously he went out to see. All of these guys on the recruiting trail. He's bopping all around, all around the country. But this was his opportunity to talk to them on his new turf in Los Angeles in his office. You might have seen that video on social media of him in his office with the Super Bowl ring, the little Lombardi trophy, his dog work, a mural on the walls, picture of Aaron Donald on the back wall. So this was his chance to you know, woo these big-time prospects that were coming on campus for the Trojans through – California power not Jared Smith he was not part of California power but the majority of these guys were coming through with Cali power but Gerard after all that who would you say was the most important person that stepped on campus this weekend for USC
0: that's interesting I don't know if there was a most important I interesting I think deflecting okay all of these players just As a whole, being able to bring in some players that, again, we talked about this in the opening where just getting these guys on campus unofficially early in the process where you can – you're not only meeting these players in their their hometowns, at their high schools, but you're bringing them out here and they're able to just get a feel for what it's like, the travel – Can they really get away from home? Are their families okay with it? You just get a better read early on on who is serious about making that move and who really vibes well in the environment they're going to be in at USC. It's definitely great from a read standpoint. It's great from a traction standpoint. And these are guys, like I said, you know, 10 years ago – you're not going to see this. You you don't get these players on campus from the Deep South until an official visit. You know, maybe here and there you get a couple guys that might come in for a spring game or something like that. But to be able to get, you know, a a whole roster of four-star guys and even some five-star underclassmen is a really big deal. You know, I mean, guys from Mississippi who just never – they barely get out here for official visits, let alone official visits. So I I don't think – there's one specific lineman that came out that was like you know it was a it, it was one guy that stood out as being the most important get for USC i think you know myron charles he said several times he is the number one defensive tackle on usc's board so okay. what they told him what they conveyed to him he feels like he is the number one defensive tackle on their board i think there's still work to be done to get him back on campus again. Now there might be another tournament where California power is out here and maybe they take another unofficial visit to USC. It's possible. Uh, We do have to emphasize also, because we're talking about, man, it's really big time that USC's coaching staff is able to get these guys on campus. And yes, but it was also killing two birds with one stone. These guys were out here for a tournament already so it wasn't necessarily like all of these defensive linemen and all of these players were just you, you, like coming out here on their own dimes with their families that would be even more significant if if they were paying their way to come out there that would convey even more interest and they would be very serious about USC whereas this is something they're coming out here for a tournament their their flights and and everything is paid for by California power so it's not necessarily Uh, like USC, I mean, they're taking advantage of the fact that they're going to be out here. All of these players, by the way, visited UCLA on Friday as well, with all the craziness going on about Chip Kelly is going to be the offensive coordinator here. He's trying to get out of uh, being the coach at USC, excuse me, UCLA next year. I have to think that was kind of awkward. I mean, for the, the recruiting staff at UCLA, you know they're 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 trying to recruit these players and and you know Chip Kelly doesn't really recruit the high school ranks very well just in general so but they still went to UCLA as well so it's like oh man UCLA did this amazing job getting all these guys on unofficial visits I mean nobody's really saying that so we have to be a hundred percent about what the context was with all these guys coming out nevertheless you still get that opportunity to be able to get in front of these kids to be able to recruit them, to get them in the environment, get them around the coaches, maybe around some of the former players, maybe some current players, and just get a vibe for them, where their headspace is at, and then get a vibe for you and the students in California. Like, you know, what's the vibe? So, you know, the big thing is talking to these players was just not only like the football aspect of getting to know the coaches and building relationships with guys like Eric Henderson and Sean Nua – But also, you're just getting a feel for the lifestyle, being in the big city and, um, you know, what that means to them and what the travel means for them. So I I feel like with Myron Jones, that's still an uphill uphill battle. I think that's a a tough one. Just, you know, and I've been wrong not very many times, but I was wrong with Cameron Fountain. You know, when I talked to him after his official visit, I didn't think he was going to turn around and commit, you know, later that day. I didn't talk to his mom, but I talked to him and he was basically saying, yeah, you know what? I really liked USC, but, you know, I'm going to visit this school, this school, and this school. And that didn't really happen. You know, he visited South Carolina, but I didn't really pop up at all these schools that he was talking about visiting, Tennessee, Miami, et cetera. And so that was one that, you know, I was off on, but I do get the sense that like with Myron Charles, there's still work to be done. You know, it was a good visit. He liked it but he wasn't committed necessarily to taking an official visit to USC. Whereas with Brandon Brown, I think that's different. Uh, Nose tackle out of Melbourne, Florida, Um, committed to Texas right now. But he committed to Texas when Bo Davis was there as a defensive line coach. Bo Davis is now at LSU. And so there definitely seems to be some wiggle room there. Um, And so we'll see where that goes. But that was when I was kind of surprised because Brandon Davis didn't really know anything about USC. Wasn't really all that enthused. It seemed to visit USC uh, when we spoke to him the day before, or we spoke to him the day of uh, Saturday, and then it was Saturday night they went down uh, to to visit campus, and then some of them went over to the basketball game. And um, yeah, he he said, yeah, USC is one of those schools now that he's basically penciling in um, to take an official visit. So that's big. I mean, they they certainly made one of the biggest impressions on him, in my view. Uh, Jared Smith, uh, the number one edge rusher out of Alabaster, um, Alabama. uh, Sounds like they really made a big move for him. Traction achieved, if you will, because that's one of those uh, uh, situations where it was absolutely a traction visit and USC was trying to get in there. And I even think locally for Markle Jones uh, out of Danville, Northern California, again, some of those kids, man, you might as well be recruiting know, Texas or 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 Kansas, because it just there's a there's a, definitely a divide between the Northern California players and the Southern California players in terms of their opinion of USC and their familiarity with USC. And Marco Jones, who has an uncle that went to USC, Mike Jones, who who played um at USC. Who? Mike Jones. Uh, that's who? his uncle. Mike Jones. You don't Mike get it. as I'm speaking into the microphone. You don't get
1: it? No, I don't. The four, so, the rat okay. Somebody yeah. will get it. Somebody comment if you get it. I I just wanna I just wanna that you know that was a great joke, great bit.
0: Over my head, our swoosh. Sure. Uh, don't yes. listen to okay. like. I just Penn, want to point that out. Somebody
1: please validate me. Validate me in yes. Twitter or
0: on the comments. I don't care. Validate me, please. I need the validation. Okay, go back to listening to your Jay Z records. Okay, so anyways, Marco Jones, as we were talking about as edge rusher, I mean he was talking about Penn State and Michigan. When I spoke to him earlier in January, and USC was an afterthought. Like the vibe was, man, even though he's got an uncle that went to USC, he's very aware of USC, but just not really thinking about USC. Totally changed after this visit. You could absolutely tell that they made a very good impression on him, got a lot of traction. He's still uncommitted in terms of where – he wants to take official visits and and what that process is going to be like. I'd be surprised if he didn't take an official visit to USC this summer. I'd be pretty surprised. I think they made a big move with him and that's uh, that's another sort of like in terms of ground that was made in a recruitment, I think with Brandon Brown and and Marco Jones that's where USC made up the most ground and and, and probably made the, the greatest impact. Um, there was a couple of players on campus that didn't get scholarship offers in the 2026 class, which I'm pretty surprised at. I mean, I probably would have bet money that Jeraylen McCoy, uh, out of Tupelo, Mississippi. Again, how often do you get defensive linemen from Mississippi out here, out west, um, that you can see and, and, and watch at a camp? Um, he was out here with Pylon. Uh, he plays edge rusher. He's six six two forty five. He's going to be a defensive lineman. He's probably going to put on that weight. Um, you know, USC didn't offer him a scholarship. It was interesting because we were just chatting a bit. And, you know, I, I had not spoken to him when the California Power was out earlier in January at the Super 7 tournament. And Jarrellian McCoy was, was out here with him then. And he looked pretty good. Um, again, 2026. So he's just a sophomore right now but I was just chatting with him about, Hey, I hear you guys are going to USC um, after the seminar today. And he goes, yeah, I want to go to USC. And I said, when you are going to USC. <laughs> Aren't you going on the visit? And he goes, no, I want to go to USC. Like that's, that's like a school that I want to go to. And I was like, huh? so I, you know, I pulled out my phone and I said, well, let's talk about this on record. Well, what you, what, what is it about USC that, that makes you so interested in USC? And he, he, he you know, talked about it. and The article is up. You guys can read it if uh, you're VIP. But in in essence, he very much has a lot of interest in USC, but didn't get that scholarship offer. Deuce Gerald's, uh, who's a big time edge rusher, defensive lineman, um, who's uh, out of Georgia right now, is originally from Louisiana. Another player, I mean, both of them pretty dominant. Deuce Gerald's, Deuce Gerald's, ex- especially very dominant in that tournament. Um this past weekend, and even the tournament before at Super seven was pretty dominant. Both walk away without scholarship offers. and And I know there's you know Trojan fans right now, they're getting flashbacks of Elijah rushing, and you know what how the heck did he get off campus without a scholarship offer? the The only explanation that I could have, and this is my own conjecture, is is maybe because you know these guys are they've got quite a few offers, and I think most of them, when they get on college campuses, are going to get scholarship offers right away you know um you know i think with uh jay mccoy just the size and the length there uh again 6'6 245 he's got some good speed he actually plays pretty well as an edge guy but i think ends up being more of a, of a probably a three technique um and deuce gerald who who looks like the hulk you know as a as a sophomore um maybe edge rusher he's a little shorter a little more like in that 6'3 range and probably like 270 i'm not sure what he's actually listed as Uh, In the database, he's gonna get a ton of offers. Like they're just, you know, there's guys you look at and you go, okay, this guy's gonna get a bunch of offers. I mean, I made that call with Andre Fuller uh, getting a scholarship offer. um, Not not even instantly from USC, but just like this this kid is gonna get a bunch of scholarship offers. He ended up getting a scholarship offer from USC. He's in the 2025 class. He did not make the visit out to USC and didn't participate with California Power at Pylon. California Power won it you know, easily. They won the five on five and seven on seven. Uh, so they swept the whole pile on tournament this year. But um I, I, you know, the only thing I could think of with USC not giving you no scholarship offers because we always talk about it here on the podcast. They don't mean anything scholarship offers are flowers on the first date. It, it might be an angle of kind of like a psychological thing where it's like, Hey, we're going to stand out as the school that doesn't give you an offer. We're going to build that relationship, and we want you to know that when you get the scholarship offer, it's for a specific reason. Like, you know, it, it's the sort of I, I mean, Kyle McDonald had done this to a certain extent uh, with Carson Cox, the running back out of Hesperia, Oak Hills High School, six foot, 200 pound, um, three star or four star, depending on your publication. It, he had a very good relationship with him and communicated with him. Throughout the process, I mean, really up in, you know, his freshman year going on. And so when he got that scholarship offer, he was being recruited. It, it wasn't one of those things that it was like, you know, USC just all of a sudden watched some film and boom, there was a scholarship offer, which a lot of these kids get scholarship offers just based on film or somebody you know, makes a visit to the school and it's like, hey, we're going to give you a scholarship offer. And there's not a whole lot that went into it. And sometimes there's not a whole lot that goes into it after the scholarship offer is made. That's why I always say it doesn't mean a whole lot because there's plenty of scholarship offers that co- colleges make and they don't follow up on them. They don't recruit those guys afterwards. So in the case of Kyle McDonald, he had recruited and had a relationship with Carson Cox for the last two or three years almost. And you know and then that scholarship offer comes like it's not one of those like well well, how come it didn't come sooner like i didn't get that vibe at all for carlson cox and i asked that particularly of uh uh jeralyn mccoy i i asked him flat out uh you know composite ranking five star who has a bunch of offers already does this are you on usc because you really wanted a scholarship offer i was shocked that he didn't get one you know, all these these schools are going to give you scholarship offers right away. And he said it didn't. He said, you know, I know what they want from me. I know that they want to, you know, build a more of a relationship with me, get to know me more as a person. Um, And so, I I mean, maybe there's some – I don't know know if I would call it reverse psychology, but there's a sort of a different play there. Like, hey, we want to build up that relationship with you in communication. And, you know, if they still recruit the player hard – even without the scholarship offer, I mean, it still matters. And and maybe it matters more. Maybe it feels like more of an accomplishment because they kind of work for the offer. On the flip side, it could definitely be used as a negative uh, recruiting talking point by other schools. Because from now to the point of getting a scholarship offer, if J. Rylan McCoy or Deuce Gerald's gets uh, a scholarship offer, the schools are going to be like, oh, yeah, well, what happened to USC? They didn't believe in you like we did early on. Like, we were, you know, we were right on you, like, early on, man. We didn't need to wait around two months, three months, whatever uh, amount of time to figure out that you were a player that could play for us and be a difference maker for us. That's going to happen. So you you have to weigh that. You know, you have to sort of figure out, like, what's your angle? And, and you know, you want to play the long game, and maybe it can work out uh, if you continue to recruit those players and you have a relationship with them. But there's always going to be – uh, the, the the things that other schools are going to use to sort of, um, you know, undermine your recruitment and your relationship by saying, well, you know, if they liked you that much, I used scholarship a long time ago. Well, so we'll see what happens. But I, I was surprised. I, I thought those scholarship offers were coming. They did offer a scholarship to 2026 Duncanville Edge Rusher. K.J. Ford, uh, who didn't participate in the Pylon Tournament. He didn't participate in the Super 7 Tournament either, but he was bit, been out here with California Power for both of those tournaments and did go to USC, and he did get a scholarship offer. So it wasn't like they're just waiting and they don't want to offer 2026 guys. They offered him a scholarship, uh, but they didn't offer scholarship to uh, J. Raleigh McCoy and Deuce Gerald, which, like I said, I was surprised.
1: If you had talked to – deuce gerald's it would have been trace gerald's right
0: no Trace gerald trace trace yeah yeah that's another that's another
1: that's another great joke that is not being appreciated on this podcast
0: (laughs) no and we've i mean i talked about this when i saw him on the roster for the super seven tournament and i actually posted and i said this is the ultimate podcasting for us like the Deuce, it, it doesn't get any better than deuce gerald's like that's <laughs> that's the ultimate you know cilantro boy uh two star is is the deuce gerald's you know two gerald's are better than one two gerald's are
1: better than one other takeaways from this week were just the energy a lot of the guys the defensive linemen, had talking about eric henderson uh connor Triple-double did a great little, I guess, column or overview of all these defensive guys coming to campus and getting their impressions of Coach Henderson, obviously, and what impact he has. Obviously, there's a long ways away to signing day, and a lot of these guys were you know, getting to meet him on campus for the first time, or meeting him on campus, not meeting him for the first time, but you know what I mean. But he did a great job of, you know, summarizing how a lot of these defensive linemen felt, you know, getting to talk with Coach Henny, who has those NFL roots and that success at the NFL level. So definitely check that out. VIP members sign up to be a VIP member. It's well worth it. A lot of exciting quotes out there in terms of the rest of the uh, position groups. Not a lot of O-line beef. They didn't offer any offensive linemen. And Cali Power did not have that marquee offensive lineman. Peter Langley, Langley was, I think he's a Cali Power guy, right? Correct? He's played with them in the past. So he was visiting and he was not part of their team. Sam Utu was another, you know, 2026 high-end offensive tackle, could be a you know, big-time offensive lineman in that 2026 class. He is a Cali Power guy, but he was not with them as well, so there wasn't any real O line juice. Gerard is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and Andrew Babalola was supposed to be right. in town, and then that got canceled. Another Cali Power guy. And so yeah, um, it ended up being yeah pretty low key in terms of the offensive line talent uh, that was on campus and was visiting. So we're still kind of waiting to see. How that shakes out, you know, what guys are coming on campus on their own volition. And again, that would mean more, you know, if they're actually paying their own dime uh, to come out there uh, by themselves. Um, Jared Smith did that, you know, the edge rusher from Alabaster, Alabama. Speaking of skill positions, we did not see Ancon Feagans uh, playing for Miami Raw this weekend. One thing you have to point out is with these seven on teams, guys jump from team to team. In, in the blink of an eye it's a uh, interesting <laughs> dynamic of all this you know one weekend they're playing this tournament with this team and then the next weekend they're playing in another tournament with another team I mean I've seen Philip Bell you know one week he was with California Power and the next week he was playing with Trillion Boys guys jump around quite a bit when it comes to that but Anquan uh, Fegan we thought might be coming out with Miami Raw he's played with Miami Raw in other tournaments I think he played in the Miami Battle Tournament with uh, with Miami Raw and did not make the trip out here. Um, USC has just not been mentioned and not really been involved with him after he decommitted. His brother is still on the team, uh, and so we'll see. You know how that all shakes out, Traquan Figgins, um this season. And uh, I think we said at the, the 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 outset when he committed to USC, that being Anquan this all lays on how his brother plays at USC, basically. You know, if his brother is successful at USC and ends up being developed and is a first-round pick, like, holy cow, you're going to get uh, a really good safety prospect in the younger brother out of it. Uh, but if it doesn't work out well for uh, traquan Figgins and he doesn't play and then there's disgruntled and then maybe he's transferring, you know, they've got no shot at him. And so that's always kind of like the interesting thing when you get that type of package deal And so, what you know, Equan wasn't on campus this weekend, and uh, but they did have a couple other players. California uh, Power and uh, Miami Raw, really the two marquee uh, teams that were at Pylon. Uh, Ground Zero did have a team out there, but it was kind of their 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 top team, but more of their sort of B players that were on the team. Uh, Premium didn't have any team out there. Uh, it was really just, uh, like I said, Miami Raw and California Power. Um, Hilton Drake Stubbs, uh, safety uh, out of uh,
1: – Really likes USC.
0: Jacksonville, uh, Mandarin High School, really likes USC. He's been talking to JP Five Stars only, trying to get that fifth star. Uh, finally made it out to <laughs> USC. Has a really good relationship with them. You know, he likes a lot of schools. He, he takes a lot of visits. And he's been around a lot, so he says a lot of positive things. But he really – Kind of likes USC and, and and had a lot of good things to say. We had the update. Uh, we actually had, I think, dual updates um, from uh, both Steve Wolfong and uh, Jarrett uh, on that. Um, Marcellus Ryan uh, plays for California Power, a cornerback, 2026 class. He was able to make it down to USC for the unofficial visit. LaRue Zamorano, uh, who is, uh, you know, the mysterious LaRue. He, it's hard to get a hold of him. He's going to make this tournament, going to make that event, and go on this visit, go on that visit, and it doesn't show up to anything. He, he does what he wants.
1: does to, what he, he wants, Troy.
0: He got down to USC finally for uh, an unofficial visit. And um, I, I think he's one of those guys that, like, I, I, I'm really interested. I think JP talked to him, and so he's got that update coming. But he's he's a guy that just – he's so tall and lanky, and he's got good speed and he's, it's like very sneaky physical. Um, Interesting to see how Doug Belk takes that, you know, because he was not, it did not seem like a priority recruit coming out of the gates for the 2025 class because he did not host D'Anton Lynn on campus and D'Anton Lynn made sure he sort of hit guys like Marco Jones. He went to go see Noah McHale twice. he Saw a number of those 2025, like their top prospects, you kind of got the vibe as to, OK, these are the guys that they really like. And these are the guys that they're kind of like, you know, they're sort of circling these names. And Lou Zamorano wasn't one of those guys. So I was interested about that. I thought that was a little, surprising. little surprising. Um, but he's one of those guys that I don't know how much USC or the new coaching staff have really seen him in person. And um, he's a guy is I mean, he's really got a lot of length to him and you watch his film and there's definitely some things to like there. So we'll see where his recruitment turns from, you know, this point kind of moving forward. Uh, ben Hanks, another Miami raw guy, got a scholarship offer, uh, went down to USC, didn't have a whole lot to say about USC. And, and really, you know, the Miami raw guys uh, outside of stubs, you don't get the sense that they're super serious about USC at this point. So. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out, but I think, you know, the, of the, the main names that were down there, um, from a skills, a, a skill standpoint, uh, probably Corey Sims, who you spoke to, uh, the wide receiver out of Missouri, who had a great tournament. He looked fantastic both days and Noah McHale, who didn't actually work out with California power, but he did take that unofficial visit to usc Mar- marco jones uh, actually went to usc in the morning he was there like all day he was there from the morning time noah mikhail saw him when he was down there uh saturday morning and like i said noah didn't actually make the tournament so he just went down to usc in the morning and visited and when i text him hey man are you, are you gonna play in the tournament tomorrow or what's going on he's like no i'm i actually just got back from usc and So i was like oh okay so wait what you're going to be with California power when they went down there this evening. He's like, no, I just went by myself. I'm not going to play in the tournament. So we talked a little bit and I think it was good. I think it was a good visit for him getting to meet Matt Entz, getting the vibe. Um, You know, I think there's still, you know, there's still work to be done. It's still going to be a, a, a recruitment. You know, I don't think that USC necessarily made like any, you know, ground to the point where I'd say, okay, they're their leader again. Um, I think there's definitely I feel like he's pretty open right now, to be honest. I think he's kind of figuring things out. And um, I do think USC's definitely got a shot. I think they're definitely right up there um, for various reasons. But I mean, I still think there's definitely a battle for his recruitment right now. So that's sort of the weekend, you know, of all the guys that were on campus. It was a really good showing, like we said You know, with the junior day, this was the weekend that was really going to have the star power. This is the weekend where you've got the guys that are like really difference makers. This ended up being that weekend. And again, a lot of it had to do with the the tournament and and kind of being able to uh, to to use that uh, to piggyback on recruiting wise. And now, you know, USC's got to. Uh, work to get these guys on campus for spring ball practices. That's going to be the next thing. If you can get some of these guys, like it's going to be really important to get Noel McHale on, on on campus for spring football, um, which they'll be able to do. He'll he'll be down there. Um, But Marco Jones, you've got to get Marco Jones down there for spring football. Like that's got to be a priority. You want to try to get maybe a Brandon Brown or Myron Charles or Jared Smith back on campus for, Uh, Another practice, because that's the only opportunity USC is going to be able to put what is uh, philosophy to on the field, seeing it up close and getting those players excited about the defense, because otherwise you've got this big gap and you've got the season and these kids are going to make a decision between now and the beginning of the season. So you're not going to really have an opportunity to get them on campus unless you you bring them on an official visit during the season or it's after, you know, the fact and they've made a commitment and then they decommit or what have you. But you're, you're not going to get them around the actual football to sell them on. Look at, you know, this is just practice, but see what we're doing and trying to convey that and say, you know, you can put faith in it even more. You know, we've talked about it. But here is a, here is what it looks like up close, and these are the kind of plays, and this is how you're going to be utilized, etc. And trying to get them around some very spirited scrimmages, you know, and and get them around some practices where you know guys are out there and, and they're playing physical and they're flying around because that can that can get you there, you know that that might be able to 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 convince some guys like you know what I I'm feeling this like this looks like I've seen other schools practice and I see what they do now i am seeing what it's like at USC and look the stuff that Dan Lanning the head coach at Oregon said about USC they're they're doing 7 on right now and all this stuff like that that's a negative recruiting tactic but it comes from somewhere right Dan Lanning is not hanging out at USC practices it's coming from somewhere is it coming from just the way USC played during the season Or was there some talk even from some recruits that were down there and they were checking it out and they had some opinions or there were some high school coaches that had seen some practice and they had some opinions about the way USC practice. So it's an opportunity spring football for, you know, some of those scrimmages you can go out there and and let your guys fly around and, and really show that, hey, man, this is a different defense. We're taking a different approach. We're going to be more physical. We're going to be more aggressive, and this is not going to be the afterthought of USC football. It's not going to be, oh wow, you know they're going to score a bunch of points. It's going to be, hey man, this is a balanced team, and oh that defense, that defense is physical, and that defense can make plays. I
1: was shadowing Corey Sims for most of the the tournament, and yeah, I think he he really impressed me. He got that offer at the end of January, and then got to visit, obviously, three days later. It was an impactful visit for him. I just put that story up two days. You can go find that. He had a lot of interesting things to say about USC, 6'3", 190 pounds, big receiver, had some drops. There were some drops. Some of those passes were behind him, but for the most part, I think he had a really impressive weekend with Cali Power. He seemed like he was their kind of go-to wider receiver for them obviously six foot three big body wide receiver i know they would like to get another big receiver in this 2025 class and you know they told him he was pretty high on their board so we're going to see how that develops out of st louis missouri i was joking with him because i was like you know california isn't giving you the best weather right now and he said Oh, because we were talking, like, it was, like, raining on Saturday. Sunday. was, oh, yeah, you talked to him. Did you talk to him Sunday after the visit? I talked to him Sunday okay. yeah, after the visit, and I, because I, it was, like, raining. It was raining on and off, kind of drizzling, and I would just joke, like, I know it has been the fullest Southern California weather uh, this weekend, but he was like, oh, this, this is nothing. This is great weather compared to, you know, back home in St. Louis. So he says, I, I love the weather. It's it's fine. I, I have no no issues with it, so he was he was a good sport about. it. He's actually been to South Southern California a couple times, so he uh, he said he feels very comfortable out here. So that's that's a good thing to hear if you're a USC fan. I did also want to shout out to a seven on 7 team we haven't talked about the Doughboys.
0: I knew but, you were gonna.
1: I I'm sorry, I got to shout out the Doughboys, and if you're not, you know, don't know what I'm talking about, it was this seven on seven team that was basically made up of a bunch of like undersized offensive linemen and defensive line playing seven on seven. They weren't on the five on five. They were literally playing seven on seven, like 90% of the team was undersized, offensive lineman, defensive lineman with a couple of like wide receivers and a quarterback. But they were just there for the vibes. Gerard, they were just like having fun. They were, you know, they were getting dunked on with, you know, these better athletes out there on the field, but they were still like having fun with one of their teammates got, like, a big catch made on them in the end zone. They were, like, celebrating with the other team against their team-mate. It was hilarious. And they they played against Cali, Cali Power. They got destroyed by Cali Power. But they scored against Cali Power, and they were saying after, you guys let us score, so we technically win the game. They were just good vibes all around. I don't think they won a single game, but they were having a lot of fun out there. So Gerard was making the joke that if 7-on-7 seven seven was around... When he was playing, that's probably the seven on seven team he would play. Play on. They would have their own little hurricane on Doughboys. Uh, no, not
0: when I played high school football. And now, oh. uh, if I was to go out there, I would have been. playing I thought you were saying for Doughboys. No, oh. when I was uh, playing high school football, you'd be on Cali Power.
1: Game.
0: I would not have been on Cali Power. No, I, I keep it real. But <laughs> that would
1: have. Uh, you would be anchoring that Cali power lineup, which we didn't mention. We, I, if you've noticed, we haven't mentioned anything about the actual event five on five. Like it's like Cali power D line, O line just like wiped the floor with everybody there. It wasn't even like a real competition. They had nobody stand up to them.
0: Yeah, certainly five on five is in its infancy. There are not many teams and certainly, I don't know of another team which has a national group of guys that have been hand selected from all over the country. There's just not another travel team like that. Um, the most you've seen are local outfits, and and sometimes they're made up of like really one high school. Um, sometimes you have you know a, a few different guys from different high schools come together, um, but it's not necessarily super team oriented the five-on-five the five has really come from the offensive line camps and clinics and sort of training that goes on, which which has become more popular over the years. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe we can kind of do some sort of travel thing with the guys that, you know, we week in and week out, we all work together, you know, uh, different guys from different teams. But, again, it tends to be – they're all driving to these camps during the weekends or during the days or whenever they're doing their off season workouts. Um, and so it's not really national. Um, that's just kind of a rarity with California power. It's cool again to be able to see five on five and it, it really draws a lot more interest anymore than seven on seven. I think people are just over seven on seven. I think we've all seen plenty of seven on seven. We know it's not real football and it's kind of gimmicky, and it's like, yeah, you see some cool plays and whatever, but it's kind of catch. It's not uh, – very rarely do you get to see really good one-on-one matchups between a corner and a wide receiver where it's like man coverage. You know, you get to see Jeremiah Smith against uh, DeJon Lee or or uh, Devin Sanchez, and you're like, okay, I can make some opinions off of this. Like, I can see what's going on when you got one of the best receivers – uh, in the, you know, senior class going against these juniors and like the difference between one player to the next in terms of how they play and, you know, the competitiveness and what have you. But a lot of times it's just not really all that interesting, quite frankly. You know, you get to see some of the quarterbacks throw the ball. But again, it, it when you the five on five is a little different because it's a lot more physicality and you um, it, it's just more competitive, even though. Uh, a tournament like pylon where it was not very competitive in terms of like, you know, the talent, California power, just, you know, rolling. Uh, you still get to see some reps here and there and you, you see guys with their with their moves and what they're trying to work on, how powerful they are, how, you know, they're pressed a little more. It seems like uh, in real football moves, then you get to see with seven on seven. So, I mean, I can see five on five being very popular. Um you know, I, we'll we'll see how it, it matures, you know, over the years. Because like I said, it's really like California power and then everybody else. There's really no other teams that I know of that have actually put together, you know, like an all-star team, uh, if you will. And um, so, you know, that that's an interesting part of it. Um, You know, going back to what you were talking about with Corey Sims, I think there was something interesting we didn't put on the docket. But, you know, looking at it right now where USC's, the receiver position is is, is quite interesting. Um, they had only offered like nine receivers uh, by November last year, and it, it felt like okay, they're they're again kind of putting their eggs in certain baskets, and
1: then you guacamole. lose guacamole. Guacamole,
0: yeah, you're 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 losing. Uh, two guys that you thought you are going to get. You, you thought you are going to get Draylon Miller. Okay, you struck out on him twice, really. He uh, went to Texas and then decommitted and turned around, committed to Colorado. Um, and then you lose Ryan Pelham as well. So clearly, you know, you have to recruit more 2025 receivers. So there's been more offers that go out. But still, I'm looking at this offer sheet at wide receiver for 2025, and you've got seven guys from Texas, four guys from Florida, four guys from Georgia only three wide receivers from the state of California have been offered scholarships. And, you know, that includes Philip Bell, who I think is kind of the number one guy for them um, in the state and a guy that they feel good about that. I, I think USC is confident about, but there's still going to be competition for him because Ohio state likes him a lot. And Ohio state is recruited at a very high level a receiver. Um, Chris Lawson is the other guy that just got a scholarship offer, kind of at the end of last year, um, and is um, you know just recently kind of uh, taken interest in USC. And he has to get on campus and has to you know visit USC uh, before um, you can really get a sense as to you know how serious he's actually uh, about you know U- USC. Um, right now, it's just kind of like a name, uh, and and I mean. It's it's really just two wide receivers, and then included is, in this is uh, AJ um, Ia. Is, is is actually how you pronounce his last name? We we talked about this when he got a scholarship offer from USC again at, at the end of January. Uh, big tight end out of Orange Lutheran who who had a really good showing at USC's um, summer camp, or it was really the seven on seven that they had uh, with teams. It was just high school team seven on seven. Uh, the Lincoln Riley tournament they have at the end of June. And it was Orange Lutheran, and he had a really good uh showing. But you look at his name and it looks like Law. Like you just think it's Law. We were calling him AJ Law for the longest point. And JP had spoken to him at one of the tournaments after he got a scholarship offer, and it's it's an I. <laughs> so it's 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 I think it's pronounced Ia. Uh EJ Uh, so E-J, just you know AJ. Yeah, just to correct ourselves um on that. So th- that's and that's it. That's the three players. Um, at receiver, which includes tight end, um, when you're looking at the uh, recruiting database that have been offered by USC, and so that's you know two guys that I think they have a very good shot at. And then, like I said, with Chris Lawson, we'll see. He got to get on campus, and they've got to you know they, they he's got to get there for spring ball. They've got to kind of be able to put the press on him a little bit. Right now, I think USC is just kind of one of several schools that he likes, but it's a very national position which has been pretty different for usc you know over the years wide receiver is the one position you can usually count on locally where you're going to get some good numbers and it seems just like a bunch of those players are playing defensive back because now that position is pretty top heavy and there's just not a lot of wide receivers so as of the guys that have actually been on campus and unofficially visited usc you know the point where they've actually been in los Angeles and you know, they at least know the campus and, you know, they sat down with Lincoln Riley, um, the Corian Moore, who's committed to uh, LSU out of Duncanville. Um, he was on campus, didn't get the vibe talking to him initially, like USC was going to be a big player for him. Uh, the guy that is out of Texas that they've really circled. And I think they have a better shot at is Andrew Marsh um, out of uh, Katie Jordan high school. Um, he. seems just a bit more interested in USC and seems to have a pretty good relationship with the staff. I kind of get the vibe, like maybe he's the Draylon Miller of this class. And and I don't mean that from a recruiting standpoint, we really don't know yet, you know, how, like what factors are really going to drive his recruitment. So I'm not making that statement just in terms of the guy that USC likes and and really is recruiting hard and really pushing hard for, it kind of feels like Andrew Marsh is that guy out of Texas um this year uh Kalik Lockett is is a player he actually has not been to campus to my knowledge he was not there this weekend he didn't play for California Power he usually does Um, he did play in the tournament which they were at Super 7 in Santa Ana but they weren't uh, able to get on campus because that was a recruiting dead period so he actually hasn't been on campus but that is another player that they're recruiting pretty hard and and I think um have a decent shot at One player that um, you might want to keep a name in in the back of your mind and also uh, the spelling of the name is is Jamie French. Uh, I've been told by a source that Jamie French is a player that – Double F, double F. A a, a composite five-star that uh, really likes USC. USC could maybe recruit a little harder, and it it might get a little bit interesting. Interesting also that he is the teammate of Hilton Drake Stubbs. They both go to Mandarin High School Mm -hmm. in Jacksonville. So as you said, Jamie, two Fs in French. Um, did I stutter? Uh, is uh, a player that that USC is is uh, maybe you know ha- has ability to recruit. He did, I believe, get on campus last summer. Um, I think he was playing for South Florida Express. Uh, so um, he's a guy that I think has it, 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 at least preliminarily. Preliminarily, that's not even a word. Um, preliminary. Yeah. He's been on campus. He's kind of gotten a vibe a little bit. Um, they weren't on campus very long. I think it was like a forty-five minute visit or something. It was it was a very short visit. There were there were some 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 comments made about that unofficial visit last summer, um, from what I understand, by some of those seven-on-seven seven schools. They didn't, they didn't get the photo shoot. They didn't get the vibe that they were looking for. Um, but nevertheless, he is a player that has a lot of interest in USC. Dalen McCutcheon. Um, who I'm, I'm told does not have a relationship to Dalen McCutcheon that went to USC, uh, played cornerback out of Bishop Vermont High School. Pretty crazy that there's a guy named um, Dalen McCutcheon with an O-N and a kid named Dalen McCutcheon with the an A-N. Uh, but this one is out of Lovejoy High School in Lucas, Texas, a four-star wide receiver. USC did go to see him uh, in December, I think, actually. Uh, Peter Simmons – or Peter Simmons – uh, I think Peter Sermons, Dennis Simmons, the wide receiver coach, uh, actually went to go see him. I think Zach Hansen was actually with him as well. And so Dale McCutcheon, not to be confused with Daylon McCutcheon, um, took an unofficial visit this past week. And so he's been on campus, did some nice things. We had an update with him as well, uh, talking a little bit about USC um, as, a, uh, as a as a, as a a possible Um, option for him Um, you know gave him a lot to think about again I think traction visit for USC and traction achieved just like with Corey Sims Um, and um, a nation Montgomery uh, plays for uh, Miami raw and was able to be on campus has a scholarship offer doesn't seem really like he's gonna leave the south he gives you the vibe like he's gonna be going to Miami for state etc Um, so I didn't necessarily get the vibe that he was a guy that was really super high on USC, but that's, that's kind of the wide receiver board right now. And as I said, it's, it's, uh, pretty national and, um, we'll just have to see kind of how things play out and, you know, who makes it on campus again, are they coming, uh, with a travel team or are they going to make these visits with their families um, that would be more significant. That's certainly got to be the next step if USC can get some of these guys on campus with their folks and just kind of get um, a, a, an individual focused opportunity to recruit them on campus uh, with spring ball. I think that's where you start to you know kind of build the class. If again USC wants to take the strategy of having more commitments going in the summer than you know two three guys like they did last class, I think that was really was well, tough you know you kind of put your back against the wall thinking that you know you've got to get like 14 guys committed from the summer um even though you know a majority of the recruitment does go into those June visits uh it's still most of these schools are up around you know like eight ten commits you know going into the summer and so you know if you're getting like a class of 25 24 um, you're going to get another dozen. And then maybe there's a couple of outliers that are uh, – they're not going to make their decisions until the season or the end of the season. Um, so we'll see, you know, if that, if that happens. But uh, we did see that get some traction visits. And that's – it's good news because you want traction visits as unofficial visits. You don't want them as your one official visit during the summer, and the kid is going to make a commitment in July. You know, you don't want to make your initial first impression—not maybe your first impression, but you know, certainly your most uh, sincere, serious move in the recruitment just a few weeks before the kid's going to make um, their decision, and and they—that's really the first time they've been able to be on campus, the first time maybe they've actually even talked to the head coach in person, like all that kind of stuff. You you, you don't necessarily want that just to be in the official visit. You you would like that to be. The closing and you've had those conversations already and they've had that ability to acclimate, you know, you break the ice. All that happens on unofficial visits. And then with the official visit, you want those kids to have been on campus already and have that feeling. It's like, okay, listen, now it's like serious. And now we want you to think about this seriously and you're comfortable and you're ready to not only make a commitment now, but be able to. Solidify that commitment and stay with that commitment, regardless of what happens during the season. That's very important.
1: All right, Gerard. I think we're going to transition into the end of the show, which, if you've been listening to the show a long time, you know that means it's listener questions. You can email us at podcast at Just make sure you put the composite or the Recruiting Podcast, or Chris and Gerard, 10K, Solancho Boys, whatever in the subhead, and it'll go to my inbox. We don't have a ton of questions, Gerard, so we can get in and out of here quickly. But as always, we have Rich in SD shooting us some questions. Good evening, gents. Got to say that last week's take from Gmart of CT, not being able to sense when a sneeze was coming out and not muting the mic was quite the chuckle. Thank you for providing great entertainment i just want to say to gerard and rich i did have a sneeze breakthrough today but i sensed it in time and i was able to mute so you were never the wiser that i actually sneezed so gerard uh i would like a i'm proud of you from you
0: (laughs) well i had a hiccup that i kind of like it hit me out of nowhere and and a
1: sneeze are not the uh the same
0: no it is because you're 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 speaking, and it kind of comes up on you a little bit. Like it, it wasn't a, a hiccup because hiccups, you you get them, you know, and they kind of stay. But it was like that. It was just a sort of like I don't know, kind of not really a, a reflex, mouth, kind of a burp. It was just a thing that happened. And I said, I said, excuse me, but I I muted, so you you know, there, it just you know, it was it was seamless. You, you didn't you wouldn't even know the difference. So you're looking for applause. I mean, you know, you could throw some applause my way as well. They think I'm Mexican. You're not Mexican?
1: All right. Question number one. The last few weeks, we see Coach Henny and Lincoln Riley doing their best Carmen San Diego impression. They popped up everywhere across the country. Does Riley travel with an entourage, private jet, everywhere he lands, even a small town USA? Or does he do like the rest of us and go to Alamo, rent a car, and waste years of his life waiting for a car? Does Coach Henny do the same, or is he driving four to six hours a day? Can't blame him if he finds this tiresome considering he spent the last seven years in the NFL with grown men. This is an interesting question about road recruiting, and I'm going to assume Lincoln Riley is rocking that private jet. He is not driving himself. I'm assuming he has a driver. He does have his security guy he's always with. He was in that picture of him at a – I forget which local high school it was watching a basketball game. I think it was in NorCal, but he had a security guy with him. So he's always traveling with that guy. I don't know if he would consider that an entourage. I don't know about Coach Henny If he's getting private jet privileges, probably not. But I'm sure they have some sort of hookup where they don't have to spend hours in line at Alamo rental car.
0: Yeah, I don't think they're at Alamo rental car, but. Uh, I, Chris is uh, right on (laughs) his assessment of, yeah, Lincoln Riley is definitely taking private jets (laughs) and, uh, the position coaches are are driving around. Yeah. I I, I mean, there, there's certainly instances where if both are going to the same high score, they can drop them off area. Yeah. They may, they may, you know, hit Florida and you've got three different coaches that are going through Florida and yeah, they all fly in the private jet to Florida and then, you know, they go their separate ways and then maybe they go back on the private jet. But I think a lot of times it's like, OK, now I'm going to Georgia and this other coach is going to Texas or whatever, and they get spread out. But um, sometimes there's some overlap with the private jet. But yeah, really, that's uh, going to be the head coach that flies around on the, in the private jet.
1: And his second question is thoughts on my boy Marquis Gallego skipping the poly bowl. To be at Winter Workouts with USC. What does that say about him? And did he miss a great opportunity to play in that high school bowl game? Well, like Marquise Gallegos, a fellow cilantro boy, I always skip out on the poly bowl as well. I'm always offered a spot to cover it. But I usually turn it down because I'd rather just decompress at my house. So (laughs) I don't know if that's like a cilantro boy thing in turning down the poly bowl. I don't know if that's just like ingrained in us. Gerard, I do think that says, you know, I'm ready. I I, I don't want to – I'm done with high school. I want to focus on my next step in college. I want to be prepared. I don't want to miss anything at USC. I want to do these workouts. I want to get into that playbook. I don't want to, you know, spend another – I don't want to spend any more time or energy on high school. I've been there. I've done that. It's over. I, I don't see it as like – I'm just, I'm just, this is what I, I'm not, these aren't his words is what I'm saying, but maybe it's like, I, you know, it's, it's not that important to me. I'd rather spend that energy, spend that time getting ready for my freshman season, college. I'm ready for this level. This is what I've been waiting for. I just want to, I'm here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to work towards, you know, the future.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, Certainly the bowl games and the Polynesian bowl is on the other side of the holidays. And so it's like mid January usually, and it's buttoned up right against enrolling. So whereas the All American bowl and the Under Armour game are before, uh, well, they're actually not before Christmas. They're right after Christmas. Like they're right, right after Christmas, usually um, around New Year's, um, it kind of depends on the, the the days and and what day is Saturday with the All American Bowl, but it's like that first week of January, so it's maybe a little easier uh, to to make those games and you still got another week until you can enroll. But you know, Polynesian Bowl is pretty laid back. You're not getting a whole lot out of it other than hanging out in Hawaii. So yeah, it's more about going out there for the vacation and and doing that. And, you know, if you're looking to try to make an impact and get on with the team and just get to work, you know, you're going to, you're going to kind of usually probably uh, take a pass on going out to Hawaii. So, um, you know, my reaction to it is, well, we decided to do that instead of go have a vacation, which, which is good, Uh, (laughs) but it's not like, um, I mean, other guys have done it and, it's also an aspect of like you could go to a bowl game and get hurt. Um, there was uh, that comment that was made by, I think, Justin Taunau, where he had talked to Zachariah Branch, and Zachariah Branch had gotten hurt um, in the game. And he, I don't remember Zach Branch getting hurt in the game. Uh, A whole lot, like, like anything, it wasn't anything significant, but that was something that he mentioned, like, Hey man, stay healthy. So that's in the back of kids' minds too. It's like, you Mm -hmm. know, are are you you playing in the bowl game? Does it matter? You know, one thing that's not on the docket that we definitely have to talk about is the old American bowl is Mm -hmm. now going to have juniors playing in the game, which is very interesting. And, And quite frankly, it's probably a long time coming because a seniors uh, don't want to get hurt playing in the game because um, right. they're going to turn around. They're going to be probably early enrollees and they're going to be getting prepared for college and spring football. And so, you know, there's always that talk of even guys not playing their senior years. So let alone, um, you know, playing in a bowl game, it's become harder and harder to get those rosters set up. Um, And the other thing is, I think the interest in the All American Bowl and the Under Armour game have waned in the years because all these guys are already committed. And it's kind of a sad commentary on fandom, but it's always like, well, who's the next guy? You're going to have like the number one class in the nation. And I guarantee you, if there's another four star, five star player out there, he's the most important player to the class. Like you literally have 25 guys. Number one class in the nation, but there's some four star tight end and everybody's going to go, oh, my God, what's going on with him? What's happening with him? How did he play? What did he do? And it's like, you know, where's the update on him? What happened? And like, dude, you've got like three, five stars already committed and you're all focused on this one guy because he's the guy that's not committed. And so the days when you didn't have the early signing period and a lot of these kids maybe were uncommitted and had not signed obviously until February, even guys that may have been committed, there was always that possibility that they could flip in January because they're going to take official visits. Still, there was a lot more interest in the game just because of that. So now you interject some of the top juniors. So for the 2025 All American Bowl. You will have some 2026 players, which were, for I mean, I would think most of those will be uh, uncommitted players, and they will be guys that are clearly not going to be signing uh, until the following year. I think there's probably going to be more interest in that, and you know, I I don't think there's any issue in terms of like injuries. uh, In terms of, you know, these guys are playing against seniors because they play against seniors and the season or somebody made up a comment like, Oh, you're going to have them playing against all these seniors. Like, dude, they play against seniors every week of the season. What do you mean? That makes no sense. Um, So there's no, no issue there. Uh, and I think, you know, you can argue from the standpoint of some of these guys, I mean, have they deserved it? You know, they're only juniors. Um, You know, this is sort of an accolade, right? This is a reward mm-hmm. for the top players, uh, that have have proven it over a four year period, but there's just so many guys that just don't want it anymore. They don't want the
1: accolades It used to be the thing to get it
0: It used to be the thing and and things have changed. um and again, I think interest in the game has sort of waned a bit because of of the recruiting status of some of these guys. But I do think that you know having some hungry young juniors that are star players, I mean listen, uh, it's like the NFL draft. Right. Like sometimes the NFL draft, it's it, there's, it's senior heavy and it's a lot of guys that uh, had played four years. But sometimes it's a lot of juniors uh, that are leaving early and there's a lot of intrigue with those players as well. And, you know, I mean, have they deserved to be high draft picks? They only had three years where somebody else had four years. Well, I mean, I don't know that I, I think so. Uh, if, if somebody's going to draft you high, they're going to draft you high. They think you deserve it. So I, I think with that, uh, the, the All-American game is, is similar. You know, if there are some guys that um, the uh, 24-7 uh, committee um, of of, uh, of analysts who helped pick for the All-American game, they see these guys and they're confident to pound the table to say, look, it, we think Julian Lewis – Should be on the All American Bowl roster for this year, and he should, you know, if he wants to, have an opportunity to play in the game. And, um, you know, he's not going to be playing spring ball and practice and and going to college, you know, in 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 the next three days or what have you. He's going to have a whole other, you know, season of high school football ahead of him. The real question and obstacle in all of this is really going to be how do the state associations take those players that are juniors going to the game and playing in that game. Because there was a rule in CIF that if you played in a all-star game of some sort like that, or you played in tackle football, then you weren't a part of a, a CIF recognized high school. Then you were ineligible to play in California from there on. So there's been a lot of that kind of question. And I don't know how Texas is going to see this. I mean, the game is played in Texas. I don't know how California is going to see this. Um, I mean, it's silly really at this point with all the travel teams and seven ons and everything else going on, you know, what difference does it make if you play in an all-star game as a junior Um, Georgia has a all-star game, I believe, which has juniors in it. Um, So I, I think that uh, that that's, That's just got to be sorted out as to, like, who's going to be eligible. And, you know, if California players can't play in the game because CIF says so, is that going to be another reason why people start moving out of California? I mean, it seems like, all these players are leaving California for one reason or the other. Um, You know, maybe that becomes another sticking point. You know, they've got NIL here, and that actually helped attract some players originally. And what did other states do? Well, they got their – their stuff together in terms of laws to make sure that high school kids could get an IL there. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes, but I I think that um, it will bring a lot more interest to the game again, because you're going to have guys there that Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be, you know, like, well, that following class. um, So, you know, if we're looking at it for 2024, so the 2024 uh, game had been played and you had seniors, but then you would also have guys that were in this 2025 guys, some of the guys that we saw this past weekend could have been down there in San Antonio playing in that actual game. You could have potentially had guys like Marco Jones. You maybe had uh, Myron Charles or or Brandon Brown, Jared Smith playing in the game. And then they would be going on their visits and they would have official visits ahead of them. And there would just be a lot of news coming from um, that. And, And certainly from an evaluation standpoint, you know that's the other thing with the with, with the All Star Games, you know Polynesian Bowl. There's not a whole lot of practicing going on, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Under Armour Game. There's never been a lot of practicing. It's always been a free trip to Disneyland, and there's very little practice. There's very little that you really get to evaluate. The All American Bowl was really the only one that stood out in its initial years as being a very good. Uh, a event to evaluate how good these guys actually were because you had a full week of practice, the Monday, Tuesday practices. And I think even maybe Wednesday, I I don't think Wednesday, I think it was just Monday, Tuesday, you would have two practices. You would have practice in the, in the morning, and then you'd have a practice in the afternoon. And then on a Wednesday, you usually had a, some type of scrimmage at some point between the East team and the West team. And I mean, there were full practices and they had full, like team periods and everything, it was like, wow, you got to really see a lot of these players. Now that's kind of changed in recent years. And it's, you know, the all American bowl is trying to keep up with the Under Armour game and and the other games where you know kids, they they view it as a vacation and they don't necessarily want to go to, uh, to San Antonio and in the morning it's 30 degrees and it's windy and they're standing out there and they're like, what, (laughs) you know, like this is not a, a vacation sort of thing. Um, so they, they've cut down on the amount of practicing and, you know, it's not as, is quite as, uh, demanding, um, but also not as competitive as it was in years past. Maybe they kind of bring that back a little bit, you know, maybe they're, they're, they get, we get a little more practice and get to see these players a little more and full pads. And, um, you know, that would be also, you know, really good because you would get that class ahead. That you got really good evaluations on and there just seems like there's so few opportunities anymore where there's competitive events where these kids are playing, you know, they don't go to the college camps anymore. You've got a scholarship offer from that college. You stay as far away from it as possible during the summer uh, for a camp. I mean, you might go on unofficial visits or official visits, but if you got an offer and they invite you to the camp, it seems like it's like I'm not going there. I don't want to go there and get, you know, get exposed and then somebody steals my scholarship offer or whatever. I mean, that's the thinking that's people have, you know, the, the, the people that are around the kids are like, you know, whispering these things in their ears. Like, oh, man, you don't want to go there. They're going to actually make you run the 40 yard dash. And and what if you don't run well? Oh then They're going to take your offer. and So these none of these kids show up to those camps anymore. Um, only half of them usually show up to. Whatever Under Armour camp there is, which is really the only significant uh, national camp tour that is around anymore. Uh, Nike does not do the opening anymore, and Under Armour the last two years it's like the roster. There's usually about half the amount of players that they're expecting actually show up, and so, cat. Yeah, there's a lot of dudes you just you're not gonna see them in the off season uh, unless it's like maybe a little seven on. Or if it's Lyman, you, you're not going to see him until the season is basically where it is. That's why, again, with the California power thing and pylon and, and just the five on five, even though we haven't seen them like against like the greatest competition, just getting to see these guys move a little bit and do some football moves and what have you. I mean, it's as good as any drill you're going to see. So, you know, you, you could get some big time evaluation done at a bowl game for the, the junior class and, and – make probably some better assessments which again i'm not going to go on the diatribe of talking about how evaluation and with nil and paying these players millions of dollars and then not getting any evaluation periods with them is is like a big big red herring here it's like it's a big issue that needs to be addressed um, if you're moving forward with with nil and just paying kids whatever you know out of high school it's like dude like the NFL spends millions and millions of dollars on scouting and evaluations. And at this point, the NCAA has all these college coaches. Like they're hamstrung. They don't get to see nothing but huddle film basically for a lot of these players these days.
1: The winds are blowing outside and the winds of change are blowing across college football.
0: That's the winds Eight. of way that's the scorpions. And you know, the other song that the scorpions wrote, yeah, no? right. Grizzly Adams had a beard. Oh, Grizzly Adams did have a beard. I that I was don't your know. chance, Chris. That was your chance to show you're not rock and roll, <laughs> you were not rock and roll ignorant. The scorpions, baby. The scorpions, here I am, right on hurricane. Come yeah. on, man.
1: We started with the Scorpions. We're going to end with the Scorpions. Thank you for listening to this. That's it? Dining. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All? That's it. Well,
0: I thought we had another question.
1: No, that's it. We're all, we're done. We're wrapped. Oh. I'm freezing in well, this video. I thank you for listening to this National Signing Day edition of the Composite Two Star Recruits. I hope you tell your friends about it because it slams. <laughs> I hope you... Uh, I'm still loving
0: you, Chris. I'm still loving you.
1: I'm still loving me. Is that what you said? You're still loving me? <laughs> it's slams, hey, listen, baby. You
0: get to make your Mike Jones rap comment. So I'm going to throw back a little bit of like old school rock and roll yeah, back at you. So yeah, still loving you. Um, here I am, Rocky Like a Hurricane. Scorpions, baby. The scorpions. You need to get yourself right and listen to the scorpions a little bit and then you'll you'll you know you'll have more than just these little clips that you play of here i am it all slams baby it all slams
1: i'm chris that is gerard thank you for listening to composites Star recruits we're talking about rock and roll we're talking about listening to the scorpions gerard i'll check out the scorpions but one band we're not going to check out
0: definitely that leopard sucks